1: Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: With Paulie prior to the lockout, you know we told him we thought he could be our shortstop. We we, we want to give him that vote of confidence. Um, obviously, there's going to be some competition in this camp with even somebody like Alundo Sosa. But in terms of like going outside of that, I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense for us. And you know, ultimately, he wants to prove he can get back
3: to where he once was. That was John Mo's A-Lock prior to the 2022 season. I would say it's fair to. I would say it's fair to say that it didn't go as planned, Alex. Paul DeYoung did do you not mean? have the season that anybody was hoping what, you for. You don't think that Mo thought that you know what's going to be great for this team? I'll send him to Memphis for a couple of months just to get him right. Well, the two guys that he mentioned as the competition at shortstop in that quote were Paul DeYoung and Edmundo Sosa. One of them spent oh. the majority of the season in Memphis. The other is now in Philadelphia and playing in the playing. NLCS. <laughs> still playing, ladies and gentlemen. Got so, the final out against the Cardinals. So yeah, I think it's fair to say that it didn't go according to plan. So what's the plan this offseason at that position? With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson on Branded Kylie. Again, that was John Mozalock prior to the season talking about their plan at shortstop. Alex, yesterday I found it interesting. I was going over on MLB.com. I was reading an article that they put out. With the top eight landing spots for Trey Turner. Oh, well, one of the one. prize possessions for this year's offseason. 29-year-old shortstop. He's done everything you want to see a shortstop do. He's a borderline gold glove defender. He's a guy that can steal 20 to 30 bags in a season. He hits for average. He gets on base. He hits Red's for power. Sounds
4: like the Cardinals. Sounds like everything the Cardinals
3: need. Lead-off hitter, sure. Gets
4: on base, sure. Performs in the postseason, sure. Plays great shortstop, sure.
3: He's going to be about $300 million. Sounds good to me. Open up the wallet, T-Bone. Here are the top eight landing spots. According to MLB.com's Mark Feinsand, who I think is a pretty trustworthy source. Cardinals. Phillies, one. What? Dodgers, two. Giants, three. Orioles, four. Orioles? Yankees, Five. Braves 6, Red Sox 7, and
0: St. Louis. Cardinals! What? The
3: Chicago Cubs at number 8. The Cardinals were not listed. In fact, they weren't even mentioned in this article as a potential landing spot for Trey Turner. Wow, they'll be the dark horse that comes out at the hot stove meetings. I wouldn't count on that. Alex, the reason I want to bring this up is because I think they should be mentioned in any conversation that we are having about Trey Turner. I am not expecting the Cardinals to sign one of... Swanson, Turner, Bogarts, or Correa. I'm not expecting it. I think they should absolutely be involved in the negotiations, though. They have a hole at that position. You can kick Tommy Edmond over to second base. You solve the big hole in your lineup that we've been talking about. You add that third big bat to the lineup. Specifically, I I would kick Dansby Swanson to the side in that conversation. I think it's three shortstops that we should be discussing as legitimate options for the Cardinals this offseason. Someone hates Dansby. I mean, he's just an an above average bat. If you don't like Brandon Nimmo, then you sure as hell should not be liking Dansby Swanson. Did
4: you see that catch he made? In the NLDS Cool Did you see his bat The way that he played In the NLDS Saw it last year When they won the
3: World Had Series more hits than Goldie Wow well, And Arnado combined Bogarts, Correa, mind. Turner Those are the three That I think the Cardinals Should be involved with
4: yeah, I think so. I'm I'm kind of on the same path as you. Like, I think you're going to be overpaying for Dansby Swanson, and I think he falls into the category of one of the, those complimentary bats. I think it's Correa. I think it's Bogarts, and I think it's Turner. I think those are the three guys that you're going to pursue in this. And look, I understand Turner seems like outlandish, but if – and, and I know I'm putting myself in John Mozeliak's shoes here. I'm sure Mo would love to do that. But it also is you have to answer to build the wit in this circumstance. And look, it sounds like Mason Wynn is doing a lot of impressing. So it's leading to me to believe that they're not going to be pursuing this shortstop. I, I just Mason think... Mason Wynn's also a couple of years away. I just think it's a... Mis- yeah, but you're not going to go sign a guy for six years if you feel like Mason Wynn's here, unless you're going to trade Mason Wynn, which could always be a possibility here. I... I just don't understand the logic when you've had last offseason and this offseason where you've had the bell of the ball and all of these where you've got the primary position players that you'd want at the shortstop position and you're not willing to spend the money on it. But instead you're saying, well, we believe we can get right with our internal players. Well, guess what? It has failed time after time after time after time all the way back to Johnny Peralta. So at some point, you did this at first base. You said, we can't keep doing this with Carpenter and Jose Martinez. Let's go get Paul Goldschmidt. We can't keep doing this with Carpenter and insert name here at third base. Let's go get Nolan Arenado. We can't keep doing this in the outfield. Let's go get Marcelo Zuna, which did not well, work. It was a good effort. Go get the, the player that can fill two separate voids for you. The primary third bat and the gold glove caliber defender at shortstop if you go do that i i think you're going into next season looking like a world series favorite in the eyes of teams in the national league
0: yeah i, I think they need to be on all the shortstops and when i and when i say that like i don't expect them to sign any of these guys but I, I think they definitely need to be in the waters and be hanging around and i say that even on swanson in case one of these guys has to take a one-year deal just to reset his market and that's why I, I say. I would rather that.
3: bring back the guys you have currently than sign no, Dansby Swanson. Have
0: you watched Paul DeYoung? No, because I, no, I don't see him very on. often. I'm talking. I would rather. Yeah, I, I would uh, rather bring in Swanson. I, think, to D- be D- a I bat. think Paul
3: DeYoung will be the bench bat next year. He ain't going anywhere. I would rather have a middle <laughs> infield of Donovan and Edmond and spend that money elsewhere than sign Dansby Swanson. I think I, if you am not kidding. I if don't, you
0: get Swanson on a one year deal, I would take it. Nah, he's such an upgrade in my opinion I, I at know. shortstop. I. I if you're
3: I would telling, rather do a Glacius if I'm doing Swanson. One year deals. Let let's say in a hypothetical scenario, one year deal. Michael Conforto coming off of the injury. Dansby Swanson and all. Let's say all these guys are like 17 to 20 million dollars, or Wilson Contreras, or a a one year starter that could potentially be a front end starter. Those are your four options. So, uh, you give me starting three. pitcher, Wilson Contreras, Conforto. Or Dansby Swanson.
4: Oh, you threw Conforto in because you just wanted to tug on that leash a little bit, didn't you, huh? Well, sorry. It's tug on that got you right there, wasn't it? Uh, I would say out of those four options, I would go Wilson
0: Contreras. Is this is this assuming that Wainwright's retired then, I'm assuming? No, let's say wayno's back. Okay, well, then starter, I guess, has to be near the bottom because Wayno will be back and there's no spot for the starter. I mean, that money is
3: basically Wayno's money. Yeah, okay. If being honest.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. You then I guess the starter's there. number one. <laughs> Uh, I would say I would put Swanson probably towards the top of that list. If I'm saying the starting pitcher is going to be Wainwright's money, I'm going to put it at four for now. But I would say I would go Swanson one, Contreras two, and I would go Conforto three. Actually, I would put Conforto four. I have no interest in Michael Conforto coming off of injury. I want that raw power. You could
3: throw a different name in there, but I'm just saying like a a bat in the outfield that could potentially bring you a similar type of production to what we're talking about with Swanson. I would
0: probably go shortstop one because I think it's – the biggest hole on the team and I the reason I always throw Brandon Nimmo is the guy that I have the most interest in the offseason because he feels like the most Cardinals move and he would fit a hole that they have I would probably go shortstop one I would go outfield two catcher three starting pitcher four
4: yeah but it's not the position it's the player
0: I know but I'm even no matter what I would say if it's a one-year deal I would go sign one of these shortstops is on a one year deal on a third bat to you
3: no god no Dan's I think Swanson. So. I think he's a fifth he's batting for no you why is Dansby Swanson any different than the catchers that we talked about yesterday? Wilson Contreras like, w- w- is a third Smith bat, a better before bat that. than Dansby Swanson. Honestly, Michael Conforto is a better bat than Dansby B. Swanson. Dansby Swanson, I don't know how he's become this overrated. I, I really don't understand Stay with it. me, T-Bone. Overrated. No. Dansby Swanson is an average hit- hitter. An average hitter. I would there, take there is...
0: Dansby Swanson. You got 20. You're guaranteeing yourself probably 20, home, 25 home run power. It's gonna hit about 270, get on base 330, a little learning. Expect to yeah. slug like 430. He's Tommy Edmond. Like he's Tommy Edmond with a little more pop. Oh, Tommy, Edmund. I would take
3: that. I, I would. I would rather have Tommy Edmond at his salary, starting at shortstop next year than Dansby Swanson. I, would I am, agree with I am that. not kidding. I I think that we have put Dansby Swanson up on this pedestal because he doesn't play for the Cardinals. If we watched him play for the Cardinals on an everyday basis, I think we would be talking about Dansby Swanson as being an underwhelming player given what the expectations were coming into the majors. Like, Dansby Swanson this year was basically Dylan Carlson last year. Did you guys... Were you guys, like, over the moon about... Well, you two were because you thought he was going to hit 20 home runs this season. And and I think that was a reasonable expectation. (laughs) The reason why I bring that up is because... Dansby Swanson could come back down to earth the way that he did in basically every other season that he ha- he's had in his major league career. He's been a below average hitter in every full season, not the 2020 pandemic season, other than, than 2022. And even this year, he was off to a hot start, and then in the second half, you look at the numbers, they're bad again. So, I'm sorry, that was my my disclaimer on Dansby Swanson, uh, I'm hey not
0: look, interested. When he's, I'm a, when he's a Cardinal and doing great, I'm going to have this cut ready. Look,
3: I don't agree with
4: BK on anything in this world, but I agree with him on this. I think Dansby Swanson, if that was the offseason, I would be a little underwhelmed by it because I think there's there, just so
3: many other things they could do in that, it doesn't, that range that I would be more the interested only thing
4: in. it addresses is the fact that you're addressing your infield defense with Dansby Swanson at shortstop and Tommy Edmond back at second but then your problem still because you're going to be
3: spending the money on Dansby Swanson is okay well where's that third bat coming into play you still got the same exact questions if you sign Dansby Swanson than if you don't
4: if I'm going to spend money I'm spending it on a guy who is a
3: obvious third bat with Goldschmidt and Arenado. the other thing is like you, you look at these guys Turner Correa Bogarts I know that we throw Dansby Swanson 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 into the mix for some weird reason, just because he was like a former top pick because he won the World Series. And I think that's why people get so overwhelmed with it. Look at these guys and then compare it to the numbers that you're talking about with Dan's B. Swanson, Tanner. These are the last four years for the other three big time shortstops. Trey Turner, 310 hitter, 360 on base, 500 slugging percentage, 30% oh. above league average. Oh. Carlos Correa, 285 hitter, 360 on base, 485 slugging percentage, again, 130 OPS plus, 30% above <laughs> league average. Xander Bogart, 305 hitter, 375 on base percentage, and a 500 All value slugging loss. percentage. Defense sucks. Don't and, care. again. Thirty percent above league. Well, average. I,
0: I'm not saying I would sign Swanson to a four or five year deal. I, I'm just saying if you said that they need, if we're talking about the Cardinals being in on the shortstop market, they're not truly in on Trey Turner. I'll never buy that. I'm not sure they'll ever be on Carlos Correa, and I'm truly not sure they'll be in on Xander Bogarts. So that leads me with who? Dansby Swanson. Tell me, Edmund. Jose Iglesias, or sticking internal. Yeah, and I, I think they would look. I and I and all I was saying was if one guy, I say they swim in all five with all five guys there. And if anybody falls on a one-year deal, you take it. Correa ends up signing the deal he signed with Minnesota, you jump on it. But I think Correa, Bogarts, and Turner are all getting their big contracts. And if Swanson says, you know what, I'll take a one-year deal to uh, reset my market, I'd be in on it. I'm not saying I'd sign Swanson to a four- or five-year contract. Dansby Swanson, in his in the last
3: four years, has a 103 OPS plus. That is 3% above league average. Do you know what Tommy Edmonds' OPS plus is over the last four seasons? What would you say Swanson's was? 103. 20% over... I'll Deep say average.
0: I'll say Edmund the second baseman's OPS plus is like 110
3: 103 it's the exact same Tommy Edmund is Dansby Swanson you have Dansby Swanson on your team and you're paying him pre-arb numbers You're paying him nothing when you would be paying Dansby Swanson 15 plus million dollars a year. And let's be honest, Dansby Swanson ain't taking a one year deal. If he did, he would be taking the qualifying offer to just go back to play for the Atlanta Braves. So the the idea of him being on a one year deal is moot. He's going to get a multi-year contract somewhere or he'll stay one year in Atlanta and if you're the Cardinals, you, you should be counting your blessings that that deal is not coming here in St. Louis because you already have that guy on the roster and you can use that money elsewhere. It's about the opportunity cost. You don't need to be signing him. If I told you guys the Cardinals end up, they are in they're in the market for at least one of these players. Who do you think is most likely? Turner, Correa, Bogarts. I would say
4: most likely, oof. I would say most likely Bogarts, because I think they would look at the value to where you're not. Maybe he is going to cost you closer to 30 million, but I think you could probably get him cheaper than Correa and Turner. And I think you can move him around the other two. It's pretty obvious they're playing shortstop for you. Bogarts could come in next season and be your second baseman. And then a year from now, be your starting designated hitter and have that position for you for the next four seasons. So I would say Bogarts is the most likely.
0: I would say probably Bogarts, too, because I don't think he'll get what Correa and Turner get. And I kind of agree with Alex. He can come in. He can be your shortstop probably for the first two years of the deal. And then if if you don't decide to move when, you could probably move Bogarts over to second base or he becomes an everyday DH. So if it's those three, I would probably say it's Bogarts that would be the most likely.
3: I would probably rank it Bogarts, Correa, Turner in that order, because uh, I think that Correa could end up having to move elsewhere as well. I think Turner is a long-term shortstop. I think Bogarts is almost certainly going to be moved off of shortstop eventually, and probably will be moved to second base. Hell, Bogarts—you could sign him as a shortstop. Maybe you move Mason Wynn to second base, and you you use those two guys as your middle infield for right now. And later on, like even if Bogarts ends up being a DH and like a utility infielder for you, man, his bat plays up to the point where you could use him in that role, and it would not be a a misuse of your resources. So I think I'm with you guys on Bogarts. I think he's the guy that is most likely the other kind of side piece to all of this, man, we're watching the end of this dog, this version of the Dodgers, because you look at what they have become. And I, we all said it this year, they felt a little more vulnerable than they have been in the past. Trey Turner's one of the guys they're potentially missing out on this offseason. The other option or the other free agents that are there, Clayton Kershaw, Justin Turner, Craig Kimbrell, Tyler Anderson, Andrew Heaney, Joey Gallo. It is about to be a very different Looking version of the Dodgers that might be for the better But right now they're going Into an offseason where we think that the Cardinals Have a lot of questions going into it who buddy <laughs> There are very few teams that have more Questions going into this offseason that are legitimate it, Contenders than the Dodgers
4: it's fine next year they'll Have Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa on the Roster and then we're going to be talking about
3: another juggernaut Like we usually do coming yeah. up in 15 minutes, we are got to talk about the Blues' fourth line. Speaking of juggernauts. Yeah, they are. The Blues' fourth, nine has, fourth line has become that after just one game. We'll tell you what Craig Burby had to say about them yesterday on the fast lane. That's coming up at 11.30. Questions and answers at 11.45. But next, what the hell's going on with the Broncos? Last time I can remember being this disappointed about a, a football team that was put together that looked like there was no way it could miss was the Dream Team. We'll tell you about it next here on 101 ESPN
1: we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn that's good scott puts it down that's good the
3: kick is good and the chargers win it in overtime With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like on ESPN last night as the Denver Broncos lose once again. And Alex, in the second half, I didn't even know this was possible. The Broncos had negative nine net passing yards in the second half and overtime combined. That means when you combine the sacks and the passing yards that they had in the second half plus overtime, they ended up actually losing yardage by dropping back in the second half plus overtime. I can't believe what I'm watching right now. Like this, this feels impossible for them to be this bad. But Russell Wilson has been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL so far this season. The Broncos have been one of the worst and definitely one of the uh, most underwhelming teams so far in the league this year. You look at what he's done offensively, man, they're averaging less than 15 points per game. They are 32nd in the NFL. There's only 32 teams in points per game. His offense has been worse than the offense that was led in the first six games with Paxton Lynch or Brandon Allen or Tim Tebow or Brock Osweiler or Trevor Simeon. Those were good years. You look at the quarterbacks for the Broncos since 2000. This is the worst that they have been through six games under any quarterback since 2000. I I can't explain it. It reminds me, I was telling you before the show today of that Eagles team that called themselves the dream team going into the season where they had Vince Young and Namdi Asamoah and it was like, man, Look at these guys. How's anybody going to beat them? Yeah, but they finished eight and eight that season. and I don't think the Broncos are getting to that. And it felt like a disastrous outcome for them. What do you? Exp- how do you explain what we are watching right now with this Denver Broncos team, Alex?
4: I, I mean, look, it's bad on all ends. Like at least the the uh, positive, if you can find one on that awful team, is the fact that their defense seems to be playing pretty well. But I, I mean. I understand everyone's looking at Russell Wilson and saying, this is not Russell Wilson. Like, he is in a sharp decline. He looks awful. And I'm with you. He does not look good. But I also think Nathaniel Hackett is a terrible head coach. I mean, I'm watching this. And yes, Russell Wilson does overthrow guys or not make the correct passes and get sacked. Seems to be... Every, he looks like Joe Burrow out there for how many times he's Ooh. eating turf. But... I'm also seeing no creativity in the offense. Like there is nothing. It's the same route to run every single play. And these guys aren't finding ways to get open. And you have some pretty incredible wide receivers, which is why so many people were high on the Denver Broncos this season. As much as I'm going to blame Russell Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett is awful. Like the guy looks like he's overwhelmed on the sideline right now in terms of creating offense. And until that gets fixed, I don't know how much Russell Wilson can actually cook with the Denver Broncos.
0: I, I think Russ is like one of those easy bake ovens. He doesn't truly cook. Like he's not been good Have this you year. Had easy
3: bake ovens? He, he's Russell Wilson's I can't been believe terrible. You know what an easy bake oven is? I think that's the most surprising thing out
0: of the segment. Great reference. Are you um, kidding
4: me? He looks like he has a lot of brownies with easy. That's how he cooks at home.
0: I, uh, I I agree that Hackett is part of the problem, but I think the bigger problem is Russell Wilson. Like Russell Wilson is missing checkdowns. I've seen cl- uh clips and photos from I think it's three straight games where he's missed wide open wide receivers and he's looking elsewhere. Uh the game not this week, but I think last week when they were on Thursday night football. He has a wide open wide receiver coming across on a quick slant and he doesn't hit him. He looks away from him and it was basically I think the intention for that play that that guy got a pick and he didn't even look that way. So Russell Wilson's been terrible and I think he's the biggest reason why this team is not winning. Russell Wilson was brought in to be the guy And he's just not it. And I get it. Nathaniel Hackett, I think part of this is on him. Like on third and seven last night, why are you basically running four verticals? And then Russ is missing the check down. So I think it's a one and two combo for why the Denver Broncos are struggling. I I think Russell Wilson is the biggest issue because he was brought in to make sure that he can – propel this team forward and he just hasn't been able to do it and then it also comes down to Hackett and I agree his play calling just hasn't been as creative as I was expecting he looks kind of overwhelmed on the job and just his decision making is very questionable I think they will be in the market for a new head coach next offseason now they won't be in the quarterback market because they decided to lock up Russ before he even played a down
3: so they can't move on from Russell Wilson for like three more years I, I was looking this up yesterday I'm glad you brought that up Tanner because I was curious okay what is the the first time that the the Broncos could realistically get out of this deal? If they were to trade or cut Russell Wilson after the season, do you know what the dead cap would be, Alex? So they have to pay this on the cap in order to get out of Russell Wilson's contract. Oh, it's got to be like $200 million or something well, like not, that. Not that high. It's $107 million. That's pretty close. <laughs> $107 million wow. against the cap to keep him. It's $22 million against the cap. So they'd be paying an extra $85 million to get rid of the guy. And he's not that bad. Uh, no, nobody is that bad. You, you well, literally cannot remove him from the roster. You would rather pay him and have him sit at home than cut him or trade him. The next year goes down a little bit to $85 million as a dead cap hit. The year after that, It's a $55 million cap hit to keep him on the roster. It is $50 million to get rid of him. It's just, it's untenable, man. The first time that this team can legitimately get out of this deal, realistically speaking, is probably 2026. They got him for at least the next three seasons before they can remove him from the equation. So Alex, they better hope you're right. They better hope it's a coaching problem and that they can get out of this as simply as paying a few years of Nathaniel Hackett's contracts, because that's a hell of a lot cheaper than trying to find a way to maneuver this Russell Wilson situation.
4: This is why I fall on the Nathaniel Hackett side of things. And look, again, I agree. Russell Wilson has not been good. But Brian Dable has found a way to have success with the New York Giants and Daniel Jones as their quarterback. And I would kind of compare the two defenses. I think they're both very good, and the Broncos had better playmakers than the Giants do. We joked about it yesterday, yep. their leading receiver. You put a competent head coach with Russell Wilson in that team, I fully expect
3: them to be better than what they are this season. I think they'd be better, but I don't. The problem is, Russell Wilson right now isn't running. You bring up Daniel but Jones. Isn't that, and but the, isn't that the head coach's mindset? No, that's mindset? Russell Wilson, dude. He hasn't run now for like three years. I mean, just, he had one big play last night where he actually ran the football. His longest run on the season is 18 yards. He He's run the ball a total of 20 yards through the first six games of the year. He's just not doing it. And this is a, a continuation of a trend that has taken place now for the last few years. He's like mid-30s. He's, he's getting to that age where he, he doesn't really have that in his game anymore. And that's okay in theory. Because if he was still a good pocket passer, you could get by with that. He's not anymore. He's not a very good pocket passer either. And then if you remove some of the scrambling ability, now you've just got a below average quarterback with Daniel Jones. The reason why he's been successful this year for the Giants is that they're utilizing his legs on almost every play, whether that means rolling the pocket out or getting him going in the actual running game where they're basically using him as if he's a battering ram like they used to do with Cam Newton in Carolina. They they can't and don't do that with Russell Wilson. And so this is I I agree that there's got to be a better way to utilize him. But the ceiling on what they are, especially when you start having to pay the freight of what that contract's going to be over the next few years, the Broncos are not just broken right now. I don't think there's a fix for this while Russell Wilson is still the quarterback. And I know that might sound like an overreaction to what we've seen in six weeks. I don't think it is, man. I think Russell Wilson, this is who he is. And if that is indeed the case, somebody on our text line said, and they're at least better than the Raiders. The Raiders are the worst team in that division. Nah, man. The Broncos are not only the worst team in this division right now. I know what the record is. The the Raiders are a better team right now than the Broncos are. They're going to be the worst team in this division for a while because there's no getting out of this hole.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, I think they are the worst team in that division because I I know the defense has played pretty well, but I mean, when you're averaging what they are and you're dead last in points per game, you're not going to be able to do anything with that. I mean, you're going to end up losing more often than not. And I was just looking to see what Jared Goff's like dead cap was when he got dealt because I was trying to figure out. You said what, what was the third year? Like that. What was the third year 50. you said? 50. Yeah, Goff was 41.5 in dead cap. So like even then, like it would be pushing to just move on from once you get to that third year. So yeah, they are stuck with Russ. That's year four. Gosh.
4: And also the Rams are a team that's like, meh, who cares? We'll move on from yeah. it. The Broncos, I feel like, are and a little I, bit of a different team.
0: And the Rams, it was my big hesitation that I... Couldn't figure out how you. Now the reason they were partially able to move on from uh, Jared Goff was because his actual like cap hit was only ten million dollars. So like he didn't really hurt you on the sheet when you get to Detroit and you're just looking for that stopgap guy. But man, when you're looking at Russ, who's going to have like a $50 million cap hit, you're not going to be able to trade that contract. You're basically going to have to pay him to go away once you're at the point where you can feel comfortable in releasing him. And even then, $50 million, I wouldn't even do that. I mean, that's a contract you probably just got to eat out until it gets even less than that.
3: So here's the question for you guys. Just looking more at the immediate future as opposed to big picture. If you had to pick one of these two and four teams to make the playoffs by the end of the season, because there's going to be something that's a surprise. Like you go back to this time last year, we weren't even having conversations about the Bengals. I'll have to look up what their actual record was through the first six weeks of the season, but they weren't a very good football team. And then down the stretch, they got hot. They got hot at the right time, kind of like we're talking about in the playoffs for uh, Major League Baseball. And they ended up being a team that was a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, at this point last year, they were three and two. So we weren't really having a whole lot of conversations about the Bengals either. Of these two and four teams, who do you think is most likely to make the playoffs? The Browns, Steelers, Jags, Broncos out of the AFC, or the Washington Commanders, the Bears, the Saints, or the Cardinals in the NFC? Which of those eight is most likely to make a postseason?
4: I would pick the Browns in the AFC and the Cardinals in the NFC. And Browns, I think, is pretty obvious why. It's Deshaun Watson. I don't see the Steelers finding their way out of this. The Broncos are a mess and the Jaguars, as much as we believe in them, they got a tough schedule. The Browns actually have a really tough schedule, but I think when you put Deshaun Watson on that team, it makes things different. I picked the Cardinals because DeAndre Hopkins is back. And I think having Hopkins and Kyler Murray is going to create a little bit more offense for them. And I think that they can still, because the Rams are floundering, the 49ers don't look that great. And the Seahawks seem to be the best team in that division. So those would be the two teams that I would pick to make the playoffs.
0: I, I think I agree with both your selections there because I, I think Cleveland, I know they're two and four, but they could easily be three and three. They, they've been in just about every game. Jacoby Brissett's actually been playing worse the last couple of weeks you than he did when Jags he started. Yeah. They could be like five and one. <laughs> True. They but again, why, why, I Trevor didn't, Lawrence? why I didn't trust them to get over the uh, seven or whatever it was we put down. Lawrence's hair getting um, in the way. I uh but I do think Cleveland, they've played pretty well and they can run the ball with Chubb and K- Kareem Hunt. So I, I think they can survive, get to the point where Deshaun comes back, and then that offense really takes off and reaches the ceiling and can sneak he into the playoffs. I've seen their schedule. It's going to be tough. but At I, Baltimore, Bengals, do, I mean, at Miami, Are you really concerned Buffalo, about Baltimore or, or the Bengals? Yeah, Baltimore's going to turn the, the ball Browns. over in the fourth quarter. I mean, Baltimore's
3: just lost Baltimore. to the
0: Patriots and the Chargers yeah, and the Falcons. Lamar can't, can't keep
4: the ball in his hands. Let's say
0: Baltimore can't play four quarters. I, I'm not yeah. like, oh, Look, I'm going to take both those teams. Can the Browns play one? <laughs> No, well, well I'm going to take, take both those teams against the Browns, but I don't think would it shock me if they won one of those games. No, not really. Like, I, I think they're going to be good enough to get to the point where they get Watson back. And then the NFC, I agree. I, I think I would say Arizona, but I would honestly probably lean that. None of those teams make it in. But if I had to pick one, I would lean towards Arizona because you got Hopkins coming back and they just acquired, um, I'm drawing a blank on his name, from he Carolina. He stinks. I know he stinks, Rob but he's Anderson. a weapon. He's a weapon to add alongside uh, yeah, that's into That's a locker offense, room so. problem if
3: I've ever heard one. It'll be I, fine. I think I'm actually going to take the Thursday Night Football opponent of the Cardinals this week. Nobody likes him, but the Red Rifle is back. Oh, God. The New Orleans Saints are a really interesting team right now. No, they're not. If they're able to get their wide receivers back and Andy Dalton continues playing at simply the level that he's been playing at, which is fine, nothing nothing great, but he could be like Cooper Rush Plus for the Saints. Their schedule's doable. Arizona, the (laughs) Raiders, the Steelers, the Ravens. Uh, you've got Atlanta, Cleveland, and Carolina down the stretch. I could see them getting in at like 8-9 and nine or 9-8. Nine and eight. And then the other team that I would point to is the Jaguars. 15 minutes, 65780 is your comfort service text line for questions and answers. But next, Alex has been all in on the Blues' fourth line all offseason. Sounds like their coach is all in on it, too. I'll tell you why coming up here on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
1: We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: But I know that, you know, they're going to do the right thing. Like they're going to get that puck deep and go to work again right away. And the other team's kind of on their heels. Just got scored on. So, in my opinion, it's a good, you know, good way to keep it going. Like, if they can get that puck deep and go back to work, put pressure on the other team again, make them feel like they're on the heels even more, and then get, you know, keep it rolling.
3: That was Craig Berube on the Fast Lane yesterday. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101espn.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs, Tire, and Auto Centers with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, he was talking about the fourth line there, the group that you've been talking about all offseason. Hey, this is how the blues are able to improve that depth of scoring. And even if it's not the depth of scoring, let's just talk about what they do bring to the table besides the scoring. I think what Craig Burby just said there is really important. This is something that, as you mentioned before the show today, Alex, Burby decided to do during that 2019 run where the Blues would score a goal. And then he said, hey, let's set the tone. We are not going to allow them to come out here and get any sort of momentum going right off of our goal. We're going to shut things down right here, and then we'll bring on our big guns again. And he would do so by bringing out the fourth line. That's not something he felt super confident in doing with the fourth line last year. Why? Because he didn't trust them those guys would go out there and he would have no idea what he was going to be able to get from them. Here's Craig Berube again, yesterday on the fast lane talking about what that fourth line brings to the overall structure of the team.
2: We know what they're going to give us on a nightly basis. Uh, You know, um, they're going to give us effort for sure. And they're going to be highly competitive and they're going to be a physical uh, threesome when they get out there. And, you know, for me, I love that physicality. I think, you know, it really drives our team and gets everybody involved, and they're going to do that sort of thing, and it's going to be a simple game plan when they go out there. Uh, you know, after we score goals, I like to get those guys out there, set the tone again for the next shift type of deal. So, that's, uh, you know, I think it's great... To, uh, line to have Um, so far so good so we'll see
4: how it goes. It's the typical energy line for Craig Berube and he has not had that for at least two seasons. I went back and looked at this uh, last night. The 2020-2021 season of course post-pandemic you had kind of a, a variation of guys that you were hoping could click. And they didn't because Sunquist was injured. You moved Barbashev up. Tyler Bozak was kind of in and out of the lineup. He was injured also. You didn't have any consistency. Last season, you also did have no consistency. Everyone likes to go back to the 2018-19 season. But how about the year after that, before the pandemic kicked in? I mean, it was still the Alexander Steen, Ivan Barbashev, and Oscar Sunquist line. That line averaged about 14 minutes of ice time consistently. And what Craig Berube did with that line was he threw them out there after other teams would score the goals. It was a line that went out there and created a ton of havoc because they would finish checks, but it's also a line that can create offense. And it's not so much scoring goals for Craig Berube. It's just getting the puck in deep and keeping offensive momentum so that you can get a line shift mid-puck possession. And the next thing you know, Ryan O'Reilly's line is out there or Robert Thomas' line is out there against the other team's fourth line or their third line. That's what Craig Berube wants. And it was only one game. Things could change. But you had 11 total hits combined between Achari and Toropchenko. That's something that probably can't sustain all season long because injuries are going to come into play. But it's two out of the three guys, and I think Nathan Walker's in this category also, that Craig Brewey looks at and says... They're not going to put our team in a bad spot. It's not the Dakota Joshua's or the Clem Costin's like last season where one minute they're in the offensive zone keeping puck possession, but the next minute they're turning the puck over in the defensive zone and it's an odd man rush. Predictability. So if Craig Berube is going to these guys post goals scored, that tells me he trusts this line in terms of keeping the energy going for this team. And I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I think this is a massively important aspect to Craig Berube's style of hockey. Yes, you want offense. Yes, you've got skill. But if you don't have a line that gives you energy, you can go out there and eat 13 minutes a night. If they're only playing eight minutes, then your team's overwhelmed and you're talking about using your top guys more than what you want to do.
3: Yeah, and like let's let's be real about what they're playing. They're, they're right around 11, and I think that's probably going to be where they are for most of this season. But that's that's so much better than what they were a year ago. That three minutes that they're taking off of your other three lines that adds up over the course of 82 games. I mean, you're talking about 250 minutes. Like if it is an extra three minutes per night that that fourth line is playing over the course of the 82 game season, that is 250 minutes that your other lines do not have to play. I mean, we're talking about four hours of hockey that you're taking off of their load for them. And that that's massive. A, a guy like yesterday, we talked about the Ryan O'Reilly workload that he has had to endure over the last few seasons since he had been here in St. Louis. I mean, the, the fourth line can help take some of that off of him. So I, th- that's that's really important. And I do think it is a benefit that that fourth line is able to bring to you. I also just think in, th- in the third period's that's where you're going to see this most because we saw the last couple of years, Barumi would continue putting those guys out there in the first and second period. They would get their ice time, but then in the third period, I know you've talked about this a lot in the, in the um, post game shows, Alex, he just wouldn't even put them out there on the ice. You would be rolling three lines for the entirety of that third period. And that's where the, the games get the most strenuous, right? That's where the most stress takes place for these guys because it's where the, the pl- level of play really starts to amp up because there's stakes on the line. And if you're able to put that fourth line out there, I think that that does help those guys as well. And you know what it also does?
4: It takes workloads off of guys like Braden Shen also. Ryan O'Reilly in terms of the ice time, but it takes the physical presence away from Braden Shen. For sure. To where you're not looking at him in 18 minutes and say, well, we need somebody to go out there and bring a little physicality, bring some energy to our team. Braden Shen can stop doing that. Braden Shen, he's still going to bring it, but Braden Shen's also focusing now on more offense with a line that can create more dangerous situations for the Blues and now Craig Berube looking at Alexei Toropchenko and saying, we need you to be that physicality. Or we need Noel Chari to be our physical presence right now. And these are the guys that might be dropping the gloves a little bit more, too, than Braden Shen. Because it's always just been Braden Shen and Robert Bortuzzo. And I want Braden
3: Shen to be that guy. Like, I, In fact, I think Braden Shen he doesn't know any other way to he play. He has to be that guy. But- yeah. I don't think he feels obligated to be that guy this year. I think that's the big difference is he doesn't feel like going into the game every night. I would imagine there's probably been some nights over the last few years where he said to himself, man, I got to take care of this bleep again. Every like, night this yeah. is on me. Nobody else is going to be able. All right, I'll go ahead and do it. And he does it. And he, he doesn't make a big thing over it. He doesn't fuss about it. But it's been his role, his responsibility. And he also has all of these other responsibilities as one of the best players on the team. And so that becomes a lot over the course of 82. You, you look at what you now have with this fourth line, though. Braden Chin can just play his game. Mm-hmm. He just go out there, be a, an ass kicker, <laughs> and do everything else that we've come to know and love about Braden Chin. And he doesn't feel obligated every night to be the guy that is the enforcer for the Blues. So I think that's an added benefit of it as well. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Cardinals are getting rave reviews for the guys that they have sent down to the Arizona Fall League. We'll tell you about two of them in particular that have started making some headlines. We'll do that coming up at 12 o'clock. But next, questions and answers. Six five seven eight zero. The zier Comfort Service X Line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN.
3: The Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 314. Hey, guys, what time is Tanner going to be chugging the hot sauce today? Oh, oh, oh baby. To that around 2.30. I think we're just going to take the video and then we'll post it online afterwards. It won't technically be live, but you guys will be able to see that video up.
0: You'll feel my uh, pain no matter, no matter when you watch it. Probably like 3 o'clock-ish, sometime around 3 on this, the 101 ESPN This man Facebook
4: walked page. in today with a grocery bag of supplies yep. to try and fight the heat that he is about to endure. Endure.
0: Brought some, uh, nothing's brought gonna help. A chip no. to put it on. This hot sauce. We've got su- sweet Hawaiian rolls to try and calm the pain. Got bought a half a gallon of milk, <laughs> which got some weird looks when I bought that at the gas station today, and nothing else. And mm. uh, also got some lemon juice to just squirt in my mouth.
3: Cut that. God.
0: Six my five seven eight zero. The text you. line
3: from the six three six. Guys, how do you think that the Cardinals are going to fix their biggest issue this offseason? It's the offense, stupid. Please fix the offense. Oh, I that's thought you what? were text
4: I thought you were saying that to the texter. I'm like, dude, don't call these people <laughs> no. stupid.
3: No, that's just hey, how the text um, line speaks to us. Oh, that's
4: true. I, hmm. Aaron Judge. Trey Pretty Turner. Cool. Carlos Correa. You want me to keep going? I can come up with more names. Hear what you're saying? Shohei Otani apparently, really <laughs> apparently isn't happy with the Angels. He might help. Did think- you see
0: that? Yeah.
3: Interesting. No, it's not. I
4: the told Angels you are how awful. I think
3: they should do it. How? They should trade for Mike Trout, get the Angels to eat $50 million the way that they did with the Rockies and Nolan Arenado, and then sign Carlos Grant. Well, <laughs> because over the next two years, the Angels will be paying down the majority of the deal for um, Mike Trout, and you will have by the end of that second season... Paul Goldschmidt's money coming off of the book. So then you would just have the three big contracts. Yeah, but
4: the Angels actually have a competent general manager now, unlike the Rockies with Dick Monfort and what he decided to go about his business. I think that
3: what people don't realize is these big contracts are really hard to move, man. And, like, I understand what the... What the Rockies did with Nolan Arenado was incredibly unpopular, but it was also the necessary way to make that move possible. Yeah, to and then be able they wouldn't
4: get anything in return. And then they went and spent that money for Chris yeah, Bryant. How'd that I mean, work out for them?
3: They're incompetent. I'm not disagreeing with you there whatsoever. I, but the Angels, if they made that move, it would be to free up money a couple of years from now. And so I, I could see why they would do that. I it's not going to happen. Well the Cardinals
0: say, know how to trade team, for a thirty plus year old player. The team I think would have serious interest in trout would be Philly. I mean, he at that Eagles game, he's mm-hmm. from the Philadelphia, so like Philadelphia would be a team that could make that work or if the they Dodgers to.
3: I mean, the, the, uh, the Angels would never do it because they wouldn't trade yeah. him inside of the same city to their crosstown I rival. I can see the Mets being more likely to do it than the Dodgers. Sure.
0: Mets scream Shohei this offseason. That's, that's what they scream.
3: That's the move that I think that the Mets are going to try to make. It's why Yankees I don't scream think that back. Because yeah. I think they're going to be in on the o- Otani sweepstakes. Well, regardless, then
4: the Cardinals need to go get some type of bat if you're not going to make a trade for it. And it, that's where we get
3: back to these big names. If they make a big splash, I think it'll be Wilson Contreras. Like, I've convinced myself of that. Wait, I thought a week ago you convinced yourself it was going to be Contreras. I've convinced myself that I don't think that's what they should do. I think they will go that route because it'll be reasonably priced. It'll probably be like $15 million per year and then they end up getting a shortstop such as a Jose Iglesias. They sign they re sign Adam Wainwright and then bring in a middle of the pack. I've convinced filter.
4: myself that it's Trey Turner, and I know I'm going to be heartbroken
3: by yeah. the end of this offseason. You yeah, have set probably. yourself up for disappointment. That's fine. It's fine. It's worth it. What do you think? What is your realistic path, Tanner?
0: I think it's Brandon Nemo. I think it's Nemo, three, four year deal, and then you'd get like a Glacius in on a one year deal. You get Barnhart in on a one year deal, and you get uh, Wainwright brought C back. See,
4: after two games and in the they, wild card. And they
0: might go after. Maybe not one of the top high-end relievers, but they may go get another bargain-bin guy off the relief market that has a good swing and miss rate, like for one year, three to five million dollars. Like I- I'm convinced that that's what they're going to do. I can't convince myself of Contreras because I just don't think they're going to go for a guy that is just a pure bat and you don't trust his defensive capabilities and how he handles a pitching stuff. That's the only hesitation I have on Contreras.
3: I think people are underestimating how good Brandon Nimmo is. I continue to believe that if he was the offseason addition, I would shout from the mountaintops that the Cardinals signed a very good player that Did that with Steven
4: Matz too and how'd that work
3: out? If he was healthy, it would have gone pretty well.
4: And Corey Dickerson.
0: Hey was good. Corey Dickerson by the end of the year For was like the fifth
3: best hitter. <laughs> which does which is exactly why you need to do something better than Brandon Nimmo this season. Uh, Brandon Nimmo is not a comparable player though to Dickerson. Corey Dickerson. Those those. Uh, I mean, Corey Dickerson's prime is less than what Corey Dickerson or it, than what
0: Brandon it's like Nimmo. A, currently that's it's the off season. Of you're
4: going to be in the same spot as you were this season and last season, in my opinion.
0: Uh, and I, I can't unfair, wait till when Nemo signs and I can build like a whole package of Alex be like, he stinks. He stinks. And then by like, I mean, he's 30% above league average, My June Nemo really like 300 has like 10, yeah, homers, and the 50 games doubles. that he
4: plays in the season. It'll be great. But for the other 110 that he play or doesn't play when he's injured, it's going to be awesome. He's, he's had a, one year of real. injury. I,
0: I don't understand how you can point to his injury concerns when you want to bring in Conforto, who <laughs> hasn't a played a whole season <laughs> and really by the way, point. had a, had a shoulder issue, which as we saw with Cody Bellinger has never been the same since then coming up. Conforto
4: is deep on that list. There's more guys above Conforto before I'm starting to talk mm-hmm. about him. Yeah, Aaron Judge. No, Aaron Judge Trey is not Turner. on this list. Because <laughs> I'm actually more realistic, and that's where Trey Turner comes in. Better
3: to forget it in 15 minutes. Coming up next, we'll tell you about the two guys that we're focusing in on. they getting some hype right now in the Arizona Fall League. Probably should mention a third that's getting some hype this morning. We'll tell you about that next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: In terms of Jordan Walker, gosh, it's uh, enormously exciting. I mean, like, you think of, like, players at that age that have put up those kind of numbers since I've been here. You probably would say Albert Poole, and the other one would be Oscar Tavares, and, you know, that's pretty high company here
3: alongside Alex Ferrari and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. That was John Mozalock talking about how excited he is for Jordan Walker. And guys, he's not the only one that feels that way across major league baseball. There are a lot of people that are insiders when it comes to the prospect rankings that believe he has a real chance to be the number one overall prospect in major league baseball prior to the start of next season. Right now he's down in the Arizona fall leagues. He, He has played in nine games. He is batting 260 with a 350 on base percentage and an OPS of 825. Pretty solid numbers. Got a couple of home runs so far. He is also, if you're looking at some of the the other numbers, seven RBIs, eight runs scored. He's been pretty darn good down there. Keith Flaw wrote an article earlier today, Alex, about Jordan Walker and the Cardinals' prospects that they've sent down in general. Here is what he said. Quote, the Cardinals hit the best batch of prospects of any team with Tink Hens and Jordan Walker and shortstop Mason Wynn among that group. Walker showed that he could hammer good velocity, taking a 98 mile per hour, right back up the box with an exit velocity of 110 miles per hour. One of the two hits that I saw from him that were at least 110 off of the bat. He did seem to struggle a little bit with change up across multiple games. He looked okay in the outfield, although it's the bat that's going to matter for him. He reminds me a bit of Jermaine Dye physically. Both are good athletes, but maybe average runners. Although Walker's ball and strike recognition is well above where Jermaine dies was at the, the same age in quote again that comes from keith law of the athletic alex as we see more and more and hear more and more about jordan walker and what he could be and what he already is frankly are you starting to lean into the fact that hey you know what Maybe this is the answer in one of those outfield spots going into next season. Are are you leaning more in that direction?
4: Yeah, I'm absolutely leaning more towards that. But I also think I always fall back into the Matt holiday sentiment where as much as I think he's going to be one of the answers in the outfield, I still think you have to put some protection on this roster for Jordan Walker so he doesn't have all of this pressure on him. And look, he seems to be handling whatever it is really well because he's just skyrocketed this season. I mean, the fact that he could be the number one prospect in all of baseball, by next year is really impressive. And I know he's not getting any of that pressure now, but you know, everyone's talking about him being the solution to the problem. I think Jordan Walker for me is going to be on this roster out of spring training this coming season. But again, I also look at this and say, Jordan Walker cannot be the guy that's batting in front of or behind Goldschmidt and Arenado you got to go get somebody else so that Jordan Walker can ease into this role and just go out and impress with whatever role he's determined to be for this team.
0: Yeah, I, I think he's got a shot to get it on the roster out of training camp, but I think the Cardinals are going to be very, I don't know if cautious is the right word, but they're going to take things slow. They want to make sure that he's truly ready when he gets up here to the big league level because you don't want to rush him, have him kind of start getting in his own head and then going through the... Uh, ups and downs of being in the major leagues going back to triple a being in the major leagues going back to triple a the moment he gets here to the big league club he's going to be a starter starting outfielder for you probably i would guess maybe right field is probably where or left field right or left i would say is probably where he's going to be cuz i think they're going to have interest right in center field. arm yeah. yeah so i i think he's got a shot to get here on the big league roster coming out of spring training but i agree with you 100% alex is they need to make sure that he's not the guy that they're leaning on to be batting second or fifth for this lineup. He has to be a guy that's hitting somewhere in that six through nine spot and not counted on as being the third big bat as the quote unquote offseason addition. No, he, he needs to be a guy that he starts off as just being a typical six through nine hitter. You hope he gets on base, hope he hits for average, hope he shows a little bit of pop. Anything he brings to you is good. And then if he you see the stride for him and he looks really good in his first, I don't know, 30 games then he becomes the fourth bat for you. And hopefully he becomes that fourth bat and stays that for you for the rest of the season, not become the third bat and become the guy that's supposed to be the guy with Goldie and Arnado. He needs to be a part of the supporting cast in his first season before becoming one of the guys.
3: Six, five, seven, Air oh, comfort service text line from the three, one, four guys. Walker hasn't even played at AAA yet. Why are you asking him to make that step when you wouldn't be asking that of other players? Uh, because I think it's becoming a trend with the best players in the minor leagues, they can skip AAA. We've seen this with the Braves. They've done it multiple times. Grissom did it. Uh, Michael Harris the third did this as well. Strider did it too. Strider did it too. The Cardinals did this not with a position player, but with a pitcher with Jordan Hicks a few years ago, where he came all the way up from a ball. They said, you know what? This guy's good enough. There's no reason to waste his pitches down in the minors. If this guy's arm is what we think it is, it can play up right now. And it did. It worked. And by the way, he ended up having Tommy John surgery a couple seasons later. And it's probably smart to get that that out of the way, where he had the previous experience in Major League Baseball, as opposed to wasting those bullets while he was down in the minors. So, if if Walker's ready, I think you bring him up, and, and you see what it looks like. I do agree with you guys, though. You need insurance there. And this is where I think it gets really difficult roster building wise, because if you are expecting Jordan Walker to be an everyday player for you in in right field and you think at least one of, and I do believe at least one of Carlson or Newt bar is going to be an everyday player for you in one of the other two outfield spots. It really only leaves you with one spot in the outfield to be able to plug and play somebody. And then it just comes down to what do they think of Tyler O'Neal? Like is Tyler O'Neal an everyday player for them next season or Do they think that Brendan Donovan could be an everyday outfielder for them? Do they think they have the internal answers? Maybe it's Alec Burleson. Do they believe they have the internal answers already on the roster? Or do they think that that guy needs to come from elsewhere? I think it needs to come from elsewhere. I I think I know we've mentioned the name a million times. There's a guys, there's a reason why we're saying Brandon Nemo, because if you go out there and look at the free agent market, the outfield options are not particularly appealing. It's Andrew Benintendi, Michael Brantley, who's hurt, Adam Duvall, who's fine, Uh, Aaron Judge, who's going to cost you $300 million, Michael Conforto, who's coming off of a significant shoulder injury, Andrew McCutcheon, who was below league average offensively last year and mostly plays DH now, and Jock Peterson, who's a lefty bat, but you don't really want him in the outfield. Your options are limited, and therefore, you kind of have to go with, okay, Andrew Benintendi or Brandon Nimmo, who do you prefer out of that two? I personally prefer Brandon Nimmo. So that's why I keep bringing up his name. I think that's the guy that makes the most sense for the Cardinals going into the offseason. And I think if you have a guy like him or if you trade for somebody that is similar in terms of the overall offensive numbers, that's what allows you to start Jordan Walker on opening day in right field. And you just say, you know what, Walker, you're going to bat sixth or seventh for us every day. You're going to be starting in right field. And we understand that there are going to be some ups and downs and we're willing to live with that. We're going to stick with you through all of that. And we're going to make sure that you're ready to go and you're going to be a significant part of this thing next year.
4: Yeah. And that's where I'm at with this in an ideal world. My mindset is if you have Jordan Walker and right, maybe Dylan Carlson and left, you go find yourself a center fielder. I know Carlson probably is going to be center field, but I'm looking at it like next season. I'd love to go out there and find a guy who can permanently be the center fielder because The thing about it is, Jordan Walker, yeah, he's going to have those growing pains, but Dylan Carlson, if he's the guy, you're also going through growing pains with him. I need somebody who's not going to have those growing pains, and Brandon Immo might be that guy, and as much as I kind of poo-poo on it, maybe he is that answer. Man, for me... I would love to see this team be aggressive on the trade market and find somebody who can play center field for you. And I know Mike Trout seems like a pipe dream here. Sounds great. I'm in. A guy that we brought up in the past, though, and I don't know because I don't think he played center field or even the outfield for them this season. I've mentioned him in the past. Go back to the Cattell
3: Marte situation. I just don't know if they're going to trade him. And if they do, they're going to get so much for him, man. I mean, you you might be talking about potentially giving up a Jordan Walker. I I think
0: Arizona seems to... Arizona thinks that they're getting closer to exiting this rebuild. I mean, you look at their rotation, Galleon, Kelly, uh, they got somebody else in there that I'm drawing a blank oh, on. Oh, Mad Bum. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe that's who it was. Uh, so, like, I, I don't see them making those kind of moves. But, I mean, if you can find someone like that on the market, Just, you make all the sense in the world.
4: I, I want. I would rather, before I get to Nemo, and Nemo is a great option, before I get there— I would love for them to go out and find a way to make a trade for that center fielder because, again, you have all of the pieces to make a deal for that and go get yourself an excellent center fielder who, do, who can provide some
3: insurance for these two guys who are going to go through growing pains this upcoming season. I'm here for it. The other guy that I mentioned uh, that could take a similar type of a path to Jordan Hicks is Tinkins who is down in the Arizona Fall League right now. I haven't looked up what his actual numbers are in the Arizona Fall League, but I know what they were down in uh, in uh high A-ball was just absurd this season for Palm Beach. He had a 1.5, 1.4 ERA in 52 innings. He has appeared in three games so far down in the Arizona Fall League. He's done so kind of as a reliever. He's been doing going in one inning spurts, which is interesting to me. He's allowed one hit, one earned run. It came on a home run. He has a walk as well. He struck out two so far. So a limited appearance or a limited workload so far down in the Arizona Fall League. Guys, do you think it's possible that Tinkins ends up being a guy that takes a similar path where maybe it's opening day next year? He comes up to the big leagues for the Cardinals. And instead of immediately coming up as being a starter, He's a guy that could come out of your bullpen throwing ninety-five plus miles per hour as a twenty year old fire breathing reliever, and that's a guy that can fit into your late inning mix next year. Would you consider that?
4: I would consider it, but I don't think I would do it because if I'm the Cardinals, I'm viewing this guy as a massive piece in our bullpen. And we know how the Cardinals like to slow pace certain slow place certain pitchers if they do feel that way. And I, I don't I just I feel like they're trending in the direction with Tim Kent's the way that they're looking at it and saying, like, we think this could be kind of a Sandy Alcantara pass path. So let's, let's take it slow with this guy and, and work his way into that situation.
0: I think there's a shot that he could do that. I, but I think he has to do, you have to see what you saw from Joran Hicks in spring training for him to end up making that kind of a jump going from the major leagues, because I agree with that I think they truly want him to be more of a starter but because of the stuff that he has, if he looks good in spring training, doesn't look kind of overmatched, I think they would consider it. I think it just comes down to what do you have in your bullpen? Because I know I'm trying to think of the spots that are locked up going into next year. You know that gallegos Helsley's is going to be there. You know Verhagen will be there. I think
4: Henesis Cabrera is going to be there. Cabrera might be there. Maybe. He might get non tender I mean,
0: they're going to have a couple of open spots Hicks for the will bullpen. Be Hicks will be there. So, like, I, I could see them going that route, but I think right now they still at least based on what we've heard. I think they still want him to be a starter. But if he really impresses in spring training and looks dominant, then I could see where they go, you know what? He's just too good to pass up on. And I think that's what happened with Hicks. I think it was Yadier Molina went to – was it Schilt that was there at the time? I think that's right, Schilt. And he said, there's no way we can't have this guy on the roster. So maybe something like that occurs. But otherwise, I think they plan on him being a starter down in Double A next season.
3: Yeah, that's my thing is I – my guess would be he probably doesn't end up coming up to the big league roster on opening day, but I think at some point next year, some of these guys that we've been talking about as starting prospects, they might be in your bullpen. I mean, you look around major league baseball right now, watch these playoffs guys. As we get into the tonight, you'll watch the ALDS. You'll watch the NLCS as well. As we get further and further into these playoffs, watch the guys that are coming in as relievers and then compare that to some of the players that we've been talking about here in St. Louis. It's, it's really no comparison. They've got more velocity. The strikeout stuff is there in a way that it really wasn't for most of the season here in St. Louis. You look at Gordon Graceffo. You look at a guy like Tink Hence, Some of these players that have been considered to be starting prospects, they should still be considered starting prospects. And they should get the workloads down in the minors. But when you get into like late July, early August, I would definitely consider bringing them up to the big leagues and saying, you know what? He's going to get some time up here, first of all, to experience what it's like with the big league club. But also to find out, hey, can this guy come out of my bullpen for an inning and give me somebody that for the rest of this year is a bullpen arm and then going into next year ends up being a starter kind of on that Andre Palante plan where, OK, let's see what this looks like as a reliever. If The stuff plays next year. Maybe you come back and you'll be a guy that ends up being a starter for us because they can start stretching out over the offseason. That's what I would consider doing with the tinkens I think you guys are right. Probably not opening day, but by the end of the year, I think he should be in consideration coming up in about 15 minutes. I think there's one thing that Craig Burby doesn't get enough credit for, and we'll tell you what that is based on an answer that he gave to Jamie Rivers yesterday on the Fastlane. That's coming up in 15 minutes, but next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for better to forget it here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrarios. Bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN.
3: Ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. Six five seven eight zero oh, is That's the a air BK leaving slide for better to forget it guys can i tell you how excited i am to not be here for the next 10 days can i
4: tell you how excited we are that you're not here for the next 10 days i know scale of 1 to 10 who, like i'm at a 10 i think you guys are at a 15 by the way you're gonna have two punishments to deal with when you return that's fine i've because never I'm assuming excited. you're gonna go oh in three in next week's also so. yeah, he might have three to oh serve. my god yeah because you're gonna That'll be up oh my you're gonna have
3: three all at once i'll do it i'll do it for all of us Guys, when I get back, it's officially hot stove season. Do you know how much I'm how much time I'm going to be spending on finding us some new trade candidates? Nobody that, cares, man. It's hockey season. While I'm in season. New York and Boston, I'll talk to the, the locals in Boston and see. I'll find out what I can. Uh, nobody cares, man. It's, see I can it's hockey find out season. About
4: nobody cares, man. It's hockey season.
3: You want to know what we can find out about Xander Bogarts? I'm yeah, I'm, I'm in. Going
4: cares. on a Finway tour. Hockey season. I'll ask season. him while I'm there. Are
0: you really doing a Fenway like tour? Nobody cares.
4: Yeah. It's hockey nice. season. <laughs> like, nice. If you write your name on the Green Monster. Cool. You're gonna BKO the
3: Boston Red Sox. <laughs> that Tanner's wall like, fall. That's so cool. <laughs> that wall would fall. That <laughs> wall will nice. fall. All right, let's get into better to forget it. Guys, better to forget it. The Illini win the Big Ten West this year. Tanner, we'll start with you.
0: Bet it. Are you kidding me? They should be able to win most of the games left on their schedule. They got Nebraska. They should win that game, even though it's on the road. They've got Michigan State at home, which I'll be at that game. They should win that game. And then they finish the year with Northwestern, and they should win that game because they can't even beat Southern Illinois Carbondale it's going to um, come down to them versus uh, Purdue what are that Purdue game will win the Big Ten West and I because they're hosting I will take I will take Illinois in five year. in a row as long as they can stay healthy oh, Northwest
3: is terrible and their
0: defense their defense continues to play at the level it has I, I think that they should be able to beat Purdue so I'm going to bet this I think their only loss remaining on their schedule is Michigan so they're going to finish 10 and 2 I believe and they'll go to the Big Ten championship game to take on Ohio State is that Purdue game at home yeah. I, yeah, I. I would pick why, them
4: because they're they're so good at home this season. I
0: think they've allowed what is it, two touchdowns yeah. all season long at home. Just out of curiosity, how many times did you say in your
3: last like seventeen second soliloquy that Illinois plays Purdue at home? Three, four. Yeah. Five? Okay. Just making sure.
4: Oh yeah, because you both listen all the time. Okay. I heard what you just, just said there. Just curious. Mister tells a junk drawer story that we talked about two weeks ago. <laughs> at least I read touche. it.
0: <laughs> I don't, I don't
4: think you did. I don't think you did, Alex. Better to forget if it. Your eyes work better than your Big ears. West.
3: No, I'm done with this. Move on. Uh, I'm I'm gonna forget it for the for you, a fan out there. I'm You're doing this for you. It? Yeah.
1: so yeah, I don't put PKL. my bad ju- oh, yeah. ju- ju- on
3: you? Yeah, that's smart. I'll take Purdue, but it's, I'm only doing it for you guys. Better to forget it. Jake Neighbors ends up hitting twenty plus goals this year.
4: Netting twenty plus goals this year. Hitting. Mm. Go both with them. It's fine. Skating too.
3: Um, Better or forget it.
4: I'm gonna forget this one. I think uh, I think he's gonna get close to 20. I think you're looking at somewhere between 15 and 18 goals for Jake
3: Neighbors this season. I already got one. He's on pace for. Let me do 82. Math. Yeah, 82. We're gonna
0: be undefeated. Good luck with that. Uh, I'm gonna forget this too. I'm not sure he gets to 20 goals. I think 20 goals is a big ask for him. I, I think he's probably. I don't even know if I'd go 15, 18. I'd probably say like 12 to 15 is probably what my guess would be. So I'm going to forget this one.
3: I'm in line with both of you guys. I think right around 10 to 15 goals is where he finishes. I do not think he gets to 20. I hope he proves me wrong. I am going to forget it. Better to forget it. The Cardinals will sign one of Xander Bogarts or Brandon Nimmo this offseason. Guys, I know people are mad at us already for brand- if we talking about Brandon Nimmo. I get it. It's not a super exciting name. Like, I, I really do understand where you I'm guys excited. are coming I'm from. I'm getting a jersey. But oh, I'm ahead. getting a jersey. Scherzy.
0: Jersey's oh, way to go.
3: If I, if I had to guess, what one guy that the Cardinals will absolutely be connected to, I think there's there's two of them that immediately come to mind for me. Maybe three. The two that would be highest on my list, though, would be Jose Iglesias and Brandon Nemo. Oh, good God. And I bet you they'll be connected to Martin Maldonado. That, that feels very Cardinals-y. So those would be my three bets that you will see reports that say Cardinals have interest in blank. Brandon Nemo, Jose Iglesias, Martin Maldonado would be at the top of my list. I will forget this, though. I don't think they end up signing one of Bogarts or Nemo.
4: I'm going to bet this because I think Xander Bogarts might be the guy. He Ooh. screams Cardinal signing. I hope you're right.
0: I'm going to bet this cuz I think Nimmo's the guy that they signed. So, uh but I, I do agree. I think they'll be connected. I think they'll be connected to every one of those shortstops uh including Trey Trey Turner. I think Apparently. John Heyman will tweet that they're connected to Trey <laughs> Turner um, or or a Jim Bowden. Yeah, I, I His think they're gonna be, they're going to be used competent. as le- they're going to be used as leverage because everybody can look at them and just like they did last year when we went what's a hole on the Cardinals shortstop? Okay, what are we going to do? All right, their agent's probably going to talk Surely. to somebody and they're going to say, yeah, we've talked to the Cardinals and by that they mean Mo Texan. What do you guys want? Uh, 10 years at $350 million. Uh, Yeah, we're out. But hey, at least we heard from the Cardinals. So we can no, say that.
4: You're wrong. Mo never texts back and says he's out. He just doesn't text them
3: back after they give him
4: the prize. 100% correct. Because then
0: they were in
4: on the conversation. That's fair.
3: From the 636, guys, you got that wrong. It'll be Brandon Crawford who signs with the Cardinals. I don't know where this came from, but Brandon Crawford is not a free agent.
4: And San Francisco's not letting Brandon Crawford go. Brandon Crawford is now their buster posey. He's,
3: he's got one more year left. Nah, not on, that old dude. on his contract. I actually so. would take him. I, I, love, I love the way that Brandon Crawford plays. I'd be fine with taking Brandon Crawford. I just don't. He's no, not a free agent. Yeah. so The Giants aren't moving him. Would you trade for Brandon Crawford? If, if in a hypothetical world, Crawford became available. What's the trade? Better to forget it, the Cardinals would trade for him. What's the trade? That's my question. I can't imagine you'd have to give up a whole lot. He's a 36-year-old shortstop next year on a one-year deal worth $16 million. I mean, if it's nothing that is a massive... For what it's worth, he had a terrible season last year.
0: And I think he was bad defensively last year.
4: Was he? I didn't. I I think so. I've always liked the way Brandon Crawford plays, regardless if he had a bad season. Uh, I mean, San Francisco had a bad season last year, so I would make the trade as long as it's not a huge ask. I think he I don't think he's the third bat that you're searching for, but I think he's a pretty good complementary piece and then you can focus on the outfield because you got your shortstop position figured out. He
0: right. was
3: indeed terrible last we're year. Gonna, we're going to 16 errors on the season yeah. and the advanced numbers also agree that it was pretty bad.
0: We're going to we're going to rip on B. Crawford the last 5 seasons is just 1% above league average. So No shot would I trade for a guy that's even older than Dansby Swanson. So I I don't think the Cardinals would do this. This doesn't scream a Cardinals move.
3: I think they would rather just stick with Paul DeYoung over getting Brandon Crawford for what it's worth. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for better to forget it, guys. Better to forget it. The Colts will win the AFC South.
4: Forget it.
0: (laughs) It ain't going to be Jacksonville.
4: (laughs) It's going to be Jacksonville. Actually, it's probably going to be the Titans. It's the Titans every year.
0: I think I'm gonna I'm gonna drink the Kool Aid of what Indy did this past weekend offensively. <laughs> they figured it out, boys. Indy has figured out the offense. Bet it, Colts win the division with like eight wins. Well,
4: you're about to find out this week because it's Titans Colts. The winner of to this Sunday's game.
0: Have is, they already played once this year too? I thought uh, they had.
4: I don't think so. The winner of this Sunday, I think, is
0: winning the the AFC South. I don't believe in that, Ryan. I'm assuming BK didn't l- listen because he just looked at me as if I was going to answer, and I already answered. No,
3: I want to say the Jaguars.
0: Oh, that's why you do too. at
3: me? Yeah. <laughs> I so badly want to say that the Jags will still find a way to win it.
0: Say what your heart says.
3: I'm going to forget it. I'll say that the Jags win it. Look at their schedule. Look at them. <laughs> and look at who they just look lost to. Yeah. Look at us. Who would have thought uh, 65780 is the error comfort service text line for better to forget it. Somebody says, can trade uh, talk show host be traded? Nope. Nope, they cannot. Um, better to forget it. The Cardinals will sign Colt Long this computer. offseason. Follow-up
4: question to that text, or who do you want to trade Me. Let's be honest. Oh, okay.
0: Brandon. You want to move me out? Move. We could use a new computer, so we'll ask for two new computers. Honestly, that computer probably starts working BK. when he leaves. Oh well, you can take that one with you then
3: no it works you just got to get the bko away from him. and they want one of the seven different villains that we've got to take my spot let's be honest you'll get 17 texts like that this week
4: no no man we never get those no, people say no, they wish you were go. back don't go bk oh, no man. people always text in and say we wish you were well here T- uh, bk
0: i've never seen one of those texts are you sure yeah
4: i think he texted in a couple of times oh you didn't come from him oh yeah i know his oh. number
0: yeah, no, yeah, we don't get that. You guys gonna answer the
4: question? Better if uh, forget it. The cardinals the will sign Colt Wong. Forget it. I didn't hear you Better even ask that forget
3: question. It. I'm gonna have a job when I return. What the hell's oh, going on? I'll here? Forget that one. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. I didn't even hear
4: you
0: ask. What you, do you guys think Colt Wong might be an option? Better to no. forget it. T-bone. Forget it. I don't think I don't think he'll be here.
3: Yeah, I'm forgetting it as well.
0: I'm not sure we're seeing another Cardinals reunion. Yeah, I don't think, we're, yeah, I don't
4: think we're going back to Cardinals this offseason. Unless Pools wants right. to
0: come back. Tanner apparently
4: wants uh Randall Gritchick back. yeah, who's in? Oh, good God, man! We just lived that for a
3: couple of years with Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, Randall Gritchick is back back fro- a bad version of Dylan. he's Dylan Carlson with a little more pop and a lot more strikeouts. I'm in for it. Y- you really want that? Yeah. Okay. Coming up in about 15 That's minutes we or need so. More we'll strikeouts dive into on the this junk team. drawer. Hopefully, we've all read our junk drawer stories and didn't talk about them a week ago. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's
3: in 15 minutes. But next. I think there is one thing that Craig Berube simply does not get enough credit for. It's time we give him his proper due. We'll do that next year on 101
1: ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie it's bk and ferrario here on 101 espn coming up here in about 10 minutes or so we're going to dive into the junk drawer with the story you've never heard before we'll do that Go coming ahead. up in 10 minutes but right now i was listening to craig berube on the fast lane yesterday alex and he was talking about something with jamie rivers that i don't think we give him enough credit for so jamie asked him about something that jamie noticed on the telecast on saturday night the blues first game he said hey you know, uh, Baruby, we, we've noticed that you guys are playing a little bit differently in your own zone. Can you explain to us why you're doing that and what went into the decision?
2: Well, again, uh, I think we looked at all the things after the season and I think we, we we thought that we gave up too many chances. Even though our goals against were good, um, I think that we could have been tighter. So we're basically it's just keeping uh, more numbers at our net more, taking away the middle of the ice a lot more, leaving leaving things out to the outside. We're okay with that, but just locking down that middle of the ice and and keeping our D tighter at the net. They'll check off a little bit uh, on high plays and things like that, and let our forwards handle that. So that's 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 really the the tweaks we made in D zone.
3: One of the things that I don't think Craig Burby gets enough credit for, Alex, is his ability to adapt what he is doing schematically. And what I mean by that is you think about the power play and the penalty kill early on in, in his tenure. It was pretty good. And then it went through that lull. And a lot of this is because he he does delegate. He's willing to give his assistant coaches specific tasks of you are in charge of this, you're in charge of that, you're in charge, and so on. And after that season in which the penalty kill and the power play kind of went in the wrong directions, he decided to flip the role. So Steve Ott went with one, And then you had Jim Montgomery taking over the other, and then they flipped after that season. That's a credit to the head coach for being able to self-scout and say, you know what? We need to do things a little bit differently here. We need to switch this up. Last year, while the Blues were okay, pretty good, actually, when it came to the goal suppression and some of their issues were related to early season Jordan Bennington issues more than anything else, they did sometimes give up too many high-quality chances, especially by their own net. And if they are going, and we don't know how this is going to play out, it could completely fail by the end of the season. They revert back to what they did previously. But if he's going to be able to switch this up a little bit schematically, and he allows them to put more shots that are further away, prevent those high danger chances, get more low danger chances against. As much as people talk about his motivation, his ability to get the team prepared, I think this is something that we probably don't talk enough about. Craig Berube is one hell of a tacticianer, man and his staff has guys on the on the staff that are able to help him in that regard as well he surrounds himself with very good people And I think this is something we probably don't talk enough about when we talk about why Craig Berube is a legit top 5-10 to coach in the NHL.
4: Absolutely. I mean, he delegates all of these roles, and it's worked out to his favor. And Craig Berube, of course, is the mastermind behind all of this. But last season, when they were depleted at the defensive position, Mike Van Ryn, he was tasked to find ways to make that defense doable and playable in the postseason and that's where you started to see the platoons where in the first period Mikola would be on the third pair and then in the second and third period he'd be playing with Pareko switched it around and Baruby does that every offseason where he sits down with Doug Armstrong and the coaching staff it's what everyone does where they find out where their misfortunes were but I'm with you in terms of Craig Baruby. not only is so good at having time to look at what went wrong for a team and fixing it But he's also the guy on the fly that can fix it. So the plan that they're using defensively to keeping them to the outside. One that tells me that they really trust Jordan Bennington to make those initial saves. And the conversations that I've heard Barubi has had with certain players on the defensive side is, look, don't hold on to the puck. Quick passes out of the zone. Don't try and make that fancy play. Get it out. Let the forwards do their job. That's the mindset that they're going with. But if that's not working in-game, he and Mike Van Ryan immediately see that and say, nope, we got to switch it to something else. And that's the advantage of what he and his coaching staff have. I'm not sure how many coaching staffs there are that fall into this category. I- I'm sure there's a better amount than what I'm thinking. But to think about the fact that the three main guys and Mike Van Ryan, Steve Vought, and Craig Berube... I mean, they all played nearly 1,000, if not over 1,000 games in the National Hockey League. And then you add in Craig McTavish, who has done the exact same, Jim Montgomery, who was there last season. You got a lot of experience on that bench. But Craig Baruby's ability to see something that doesn't work in-game and flip it by a period, and the next thing you know, boom, it clicks. There's not many coaches that can do that in the NHL. And that tells me Baruby's great at it, but it also shows you that the players trust his decision on the ice.
3: The other thing that he's doing this year, at least early on, and again, it's small sample size, one game. We don't know how this is going to go over the course of the season, but it it's all we have to go off of because the NHL decided that the Blues should only play one game in the first 10 days of the NHL season. So this is what we got to offer. But Alex, in the first game, you noticed something else that they were doing defensively, not just the way that they were playing in their own zone, but when they got on the other side of the ice, what did you see that the Blues defense was doing?
4: They're jumping into the offense, and I'm not talking about one guy. I'm talking about all five of the players. The two defensemen are jumping into the rush, and I think this is what Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong had in mind when they saw the defensive core that they had in place this upcoming season. The two defensemen are all offensively inclined to create offense. Colton Pareko took two slap shots and that came on Saturday in the same set. Tori Krug and Justin Falk, they're caught behind the net a couple of times. And that's going to show that Craig Berube has given his players the freedom to say, go jump into the offense and try and create more cycling opportunities. Out of the six starting defensemen every night, you've got five legitimate defensemen who can score goals and create assists, primary assists on plays. And that's something that I don't think the blues have had the last couple of seasons. And for me, I went back and looked the 2018 2019 season overall. And I understand everyone cites the, the cup team there. And yes, that's a big part of it. But if you go back and look at those players, I mean, defense was scoring goals like crazy that season. The same can be said in the 2017 18 season. I think what the Blues have on the ice this year with Tory Krug, Justin Falk, Colton Pareko, and Nick Letty to be the primary ones, it's not anymore you got the stay-at-home defenseman who's watching it and then you got the three forwards who are doing their business. You've got all five guys jumping into the rush and that caught, that's what Colorado did so well last season because Cale McCarr is not just a defenseman, he's a hockey player. The same could be said with Samuel Girard and Devon Taves. They're behind the net creating offense. That's what the blues are going to have this season. And I think that's a luxury to where defenses are going to have to try and figure out how to stop this. If they can get the puck in the offensive zone
3: blues, back in action tomorrow night against the pre pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale beginning at eight o'clock. Well, puck drop for you at nine. It's all right here in your home for the blues. One-on-one ESPN coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Would you rather have the Cardinals current outfield or the one that they've traded away? We'll talk about that coming up at 1 o'clock next. The Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase.
0: Open an Achieve It checking account today.
3: He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I want to tell you about a gentleman that plays wide receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders. His name is Matt Collins. He had a really big fantasy week a couple of weeks ago. Unfortunately, he's a psychopath.
4: That's a, that's a pretty intense accusation, but okay. So-
3: he was walking around during their bye week in New York and he was doing some media because, again, he had a pretty big week a couple of weeks ago. So he got some media requests. And he said, like, you know what? I'm a career special teamer. I'll go ahead and take some of these requests, right? Smart. He went on a CBS sports radio station. Guess moment of his life. And DA, who was the host on this show, was asking him a line of questioning that I thought, this is kind of weird. Why are you asking about that? He asked him, sir, why don't you have any shoes on? Matt Collins said well when I got off the air- Airplane when I landed here in New York I took him off I don't wear shoes when I'm walking around He said excuse me you do realize You are in New York City sir oh, That's the cleanest city in the world I've And heard. Matt Collins said I feel more free if I can walk on This stuff I can run on anything Guys that's Wait club. what If I can walk oh so meaning like if, if I can the nastiness that is Times Square
4: That I can Ooh. run on
3: anything Okay, I am asking this in all sincerity. Has there ever been a quote that if you looked back on it twenty years from now, you heard, "Hey, Matt Collins, <laughs> serial killer"? I would look back in this quote and say, "You know what? We
4: should have seen the signs." Oh yeah, this, <laughs> we, this dude we is. We should have known. This dude. I just pulled up a picture. This dude is a serial killer. What?
3: What is? What is happening here? This is
4: the guy that when you live next door and like. They find out that there were bodies in the basement And he was (laughs) arrested and the news reporter said Can you believe that this was your next door neighbor? I would be the guy that says absolutely I was the one that called
3: I knew from the moment I met him that this guy did it And I'm not saying Matt Collins is a serial killer I'm sure he's a nice gentleman I'm just saying if he was, I could see where the signs came from It shouldn't have surprised any He looks
4: looks like the dude from The Simpsons Who is is that character? It's got the the long curly hair That's who he he looks
0: like I can't remember who
4: sideshow he was. Bob is that who it was, Rocky? O? Yeah, sideshow Bob. That's who. Look, Google sideshow Bob. You know who Halsey kind of looks like the kid from Holes. Oh my God, that is so sideshow Bob. Thank you, Rocky. O. Oh yeah, Zero from Holes. Yeah, he kind of looks like
3: Zero, like grown up version of yeah. Zero from Holes.
4: Yeah, this this guy is a this guy's a psychopath.
3: Absolutely. Um, what are the scenarios where you can be barefoot, like? I'm going Never. on a plane tomorrow. Is it okay? No, okay. No, if I well, were to take no. my shoes that's, off, that's
0: not even flip flop
3: well, territory. It, it, it's going to be seven a.m. No, I'm a, I'm a sit back. You can't you can't Lay justify down.
4: taking your shoes and socks off on an airplane.
3: There's there's no just
4: the only the only place that I feel you can take your shoes and socks off. I'm I'm is out that, on,
0: I'm out on flip flops on that scenario too. On a plane? Oh yeah, yeah. that's disgusting. it's yeah. disgusting.
4: Out. You have to it. have socks on if you're getting on exactly. an airplane. That's Why? disgusting. Because stop putting your bare feet in public. Nobody wants to see that. I mean, like, if if my wife was wearing flip-flops tomorrow, you would say she's disgusting. disgusting? Yeah. disgusting you you can say that to her face no i'm not saying she's disgusting i'm saying her feet are disgusting and i don't want to see them the only place i will justify bare feet is in your own home
3: if i took my shoes off right now i would probably have to hit you i'd punch you yeah yeah what if i took just my socks off and i wore bare feet in my shoes that's fine that's even nasty bare feet
4: in your shoes
3: that's a psychopath
4: that's that's a psychopath
3: so there's no scenario no and like if I took my shoes, if we were at a, a dinner together,
4: no. Alex.
0: You know soccer. You know <laughs> soccer players practice a lot just in bare. bare well, feet. and I know hockey players.
4: Like more. hockey players wear flip flops everywhere because their uh, their feet are in skates twenty four seven. and they're S-
3: swollen. Still disgusting. I I'm don't want to see your feet. For what it's worth, I'm with you guys. But I'm just curious. Like what? In your when own you home? You go into somebody else's home? No, that's gross. No socks got to be on. So- socks on, but you yes. can take your shoes off, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm fine with that. I think yeah. that's
4: socks, common courtesy. Socks shoes off. Yeah, absolutely. Because nobody wants the the outside in their home. Yeah. But no, there's no scenario where I go barefoot in somebody else's house. The only
3: spot is my house
4: in
0: the pool. In the pool. Somebody
4: says you can <laughs> you take, can take their your shoes, shoes put, off, but you I must
0: have on. socks
3: on at all times while wearing while being on a plane. Say that again. Somebody said you must take you can take your shoes off, but you oh, must still have socks on while gross. you're on a plane. Why
4: are you taking your shoes off on a plane? Nobody being wants to smell that. Be more comfortable. Nobody wants. I shower,
3: Alex. I'm that's good. fine,
4: but I don't know if you've been walking around sweating all day. No, that's well, it's disgusting. It's Seven a.m. I haven't been walking around anywhere. It is common courtesy Walk to other people. You are locked in a chamber for multiple hours.
0: I, I would say the only place where you can could go with no shoes, but have the socks on like on a long road trip in the car, not on an airplane Some, where you're with family. Somebody yeah. asked again, okay. what is his
3: name? So his name is Matt Collins. M-A-C-K, I believe. It is so Collins. Sideshow Bob. and yeah, it, it is, is so absolutely sideshow Bob. sideshow Bob. He was on a CBS sports radio station. That's where he was asked about this. If you want to see the story, it's uh, at DA on CBS. He's got it on his Twitter account. I think it was late last week when this happened. But yeah, he was walking around New York City, completely barefoot, just walking around Times Square. I'm sorry, but that's that's inexcusable. It's disgusting. It is one of the most baffling things I have like ever you have seen Like you'd have to go home and stick
4: your you'd have to pour bleach in a bucket <laughs> and put your feet in that bucket <laughs> after walking around. Like, imagine if he's taking the subway.
3: Uh, imagine uh, walking
4: into that never, subway
3: barefoot. I've never taken a subway.
4: It's the a- it's, any tips for me on what to do when <laughs> It's the, I'm it's the office scene where go Michael shoes. Scott's in New York City and he's like, come on, I'll show you the subway. And he walks down and he goes, Nope, nope. There's a man that's pooping <laughs> next to a cardboard box. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I've only taken the subway once, it was, and it was in Chicago, and I witnessed a man urinating next to a wall. <laughs> so, and I was in eighth grade, so it was a matter of like, oh, did, that's I, what happens here. Have I, I you the, on the subway before? In Chicago, no, that's, that's never the New only spot I did The one in
0: Washington, they got a subway system in okay. Washington D.C. And we might
4: have actually because I went to New York. It's
0: insane. Like you, you like once. walk down there, you're like, oh, that's kind of nice. Look, oh, I hear the trains. No, and, like I've, get down there, and everybody's like pushing and shoving. I gotta get on the train. where are
4: you? Wait till you're walking around in New York and you see one of their rats. I mean, one of the rats that run by, like, I remembered seeing this because my dad yeah, the, and I wow, thought it a was a like, dog. we thought it was a dog or a cat and this was a freaking rat and it just scurried away from
3: a sewer. They apparently thrived during the pandemic, so I'm sure that things are going well, I would imagine. But let's walk around barefoot New York City. That's a great idea. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll be talking to Jeremy Rutherford. He'll be joining us live from Seattle, where he just landed. The Blues are taking on the Kraken tomorrow night. Alex will have pregame coverage for that coming up at 8 o'clock tomorrow. We will also, in the 1 o'clock hour, have a chance for you to win a pair of tickets to see Dead and company. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But coming up next, the Cardinals' current outfield. Will you take that? or the one they traded away. We'll give you our answers on it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: He's got his legs. And, and this is a moment that the kid from that grew up 10 miles away from the Bronx and went to Bronxville High is able to come through. Three home runs, four runs driven in. You need production from the bottom of the order. And he's giving that production. He's giving the Yankees that unexpected production.
3: That's Alex Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Eduardo Perez talking about Harrison Bader's postseason performance. It's been really good. A really one-off. good. It's a one off everyone. Feels like every Cardinals outfielder that they trade goes on to become Babe Ruth in the postseason. It just that's a rite of passage.
4: Yeah, I mean, look at it. Harrison Bader, Randy Arozarena, Colton Wong, Matt Adams. <laughs> where did <laughs> you use name players? players? No, they where, played the outfield, remember? <laughs> where did uh yeah, but they didn't
0: go on a run in the postseason?
4: Not sure how I'm pretty sure they did Adams won the world series. It is true. Colton Wong had some success. Probably. The reason
3: why I wanted to bring up Harrison Bader is because there are people that are now mad that he's gone. Oh, of course they are. It's amazing. <laughs> of course they are. I was the Harrison Bader guy for a number of years and I was criticized because Harrison Bader was not the answer here in St. Louis until, you know, now he is because he's not here any longer. Alex, if I told you, you had to choose one collection of players, either, the three guys that are no longer here that probably get mentioned the most as the ones that got away, outfielders specifically, dolas Garcia, Harrison Bader, Randy Rosarena. That's one well, group of players. They didn't get away. They were traded away. Yeah, the ones that were allowed to <laughs> get away. The ones that were forced away. Or current Cardinals outfield of Newt Barr, I would say Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. Those are probably your top three guys internally right now. Maybe if you want to replace one of them with Jordan Walker, that's fine. But whatever the three is that you want to put on that pedestal right now, which grouping of players would you rather have? The ones that were allowed to go away or the ones that have been remaining here? in Saint
4: Now, Louis? see, that's a different conversation because of one player. Like, if we're talking O'Neal, Carlson and Newt Bar, I would rather have the three guys that are not with the team anymore in a Rosarena, Garcia, and Bader. But if you can insert Jordan Walker's name for Tyler O'Neill, I would side with what they have currently because I think there's a higher upside, obviously, for Jordan Walker, and then the hope is Dylan Carlson can hit that upside. But if the current options that you're saying are O'Neal, Carlson, and Nudbar, I mean, I, I don't think I could take that because... I'm hoping for higher upside for all three of those guys rather than the one certainty that I feel will be there in Jordan Walker.
0: I I understand that argument, and I actually think that's a pretty good point to bring up. If betting on the upside of Walker, then maybe I would lean towards that outfield, but because I'm not sure he's going to be on the team come opening day, I think I would say I would take the three of Adolis Garcia, Harrison Bader, and Randy Rosarena, because at least with those three guys. Now, Bader, I understood why they moved him at the deadline one he needed a starter and two his best asset is his defense and with him dealing with plantar fasciitis you didn't know if he'd ever be the same guy so i understood that move and he looks healthy now and he's just swinging away and he's been unbelievable in the postseason but i would lean towards those three because at least with adulties garcia harrison Bader, when he's healthy and randy rosarena are they superstars no, they're not superstars. Honestly, I'm not really sure if they're stars. Maybe Rose Reiner gets that title because he had the postseason success and was Babe Ruth for a whole postseason. But I know what I'm going to get out of all three guys. All three guys are going to hit decent average, and they've got some pretty good pop in their bat. So I would say that I would take those three over the configuration, which you have now, which is Tyler And which, sure, the upside is he can be an MVP caliber player, but in my opinion, he's too inconsistent, and he can't stay healthy long enough. Dylan Carlson, who had a down year, but I think he'll be fine. I think Carlson will be what you hope that, like, Hope he can get to what Randy Rosarain it was, maybe. Maybe a little less pop, in my opinion. A lot less and, pop. And uh, right field, like Lars Newtbar, he, to me, is just a fourth outfielder. I don't think he'll ever be a starting caliber outfielder. I think he's the perfect guy to have as a fourth outfielder. So I would say I would lean towards the three that have, quote-unquote, gotten away.
3: Let's do one-to-one. Lars Newtbar versus Adolis Garcia. Who would you guys rather have, just gut feel between those two guys? Who would you rather have for the next like three years? Dolas Garcia or Lars Newbar?
0: I'd say dolos Garcia. I
3: think I would say Adolas Garcia too. I would rather have Lars Newbar. Lars like- Nubar over the last two seasons since he's been able to reach the big leagues has an OPS plus of one twenty. Adoles Garcia in that same stretch has an OPS plus of one oh five. Yeah, but just offensively speaking. You're going Lars Newbar, and defensively, Lars Newbar is a better player. But you got 2 plus years year. of
4: 25 plus home runs.
3: And Lars Newbar has. Yeah, because he played every day. If Lars Newbar played every day, I think Lars Newbar could hit 20 home runs next year. I'm not saying he will, but this year he had 14 home runs in 108 games. In
4: 156. Yeah, but the differences could be compared to what somebody already did. And yeah. I don't want to bank on that because could be means i could also get eight home runs this season on a Lars. per
3: 162 game basis Lars new bar in his career this is including last year where he wasn't quite as good offensively as he was this year is a 20 home run per season type of a player That that's what his averages are thus far and i think he's getting better he's only 24 years old this is another part of it adolis garcia is 29 he's gonna be 30 years old next year i think newt is going into his prime i think adolis garcia has we probably already peaked. Last year might be the best year of his major league career, and he was slightly above league average, and offensively he was actually worse last year than Lars Neupar still think
4: I would take the 29 home runs and 95
3: RBIs, 162
0: game average for
3: Adolos Garcia. Okay. Uh, I will take the guy that doesn't strike out 30% of the time and as well. You, That's another big part of it,
0: And this. you say that you think Adolos Garcia's already hit his prime. I, I think like, I think I'm, not Newpar. Newpar, I'm not saying Nupar, I'm not saying Neupar, because Neupar's only, as you said, 25, so like, he's still got years to come and improve, but I'm not sure like Looking at his baseball reference page, I'm not sure I see him, like, hitting much bigger of a stride than what he's already at. Like, I, I truly believe Lars Nupar, it's not shot against him because every team needs one of these guys. I truly believe Lars Nupar is the perfect fourth outfielder. Come in, be good defensively, and every now and then you're going to see, a, like, a really hot month, which we saw this year. But the rest of the season for Lars Nupar was Garcia a down here.
3: I think in Adoles Garcia's best-case scenario where he's not playing for a terrible team that's clearly tanking, I think he should be a fourth outfielder as well. That's probably coming in, adding a little bit of pop coming off of the bench.
0: See, yeah, I think he's a starting caliber outfielder when I look I at Garcia. I mean, what he almost did a, had a 30-30 year this past yeah. season. Yeah, almost it, had 30 just, base almost 30 home and I don't runs. He doesn't get on base,
3: and the only reason he's putting up, he's putting up volume numbers as opposed to rate statistics, but that's another conversation for another day. Nerd. Harrison, <laughs> Bader, for losers. Harrison Bader versus Dylan Carlson. Carlson is a 23 year old player who in the course of his major league career has an OPS plus of 105. and the reason why I'm citing OPS plus is just because it's it's easier to get a grasp on the numbers comparatively okay um and then for Harrison Bader he's gonna be 29 next year and he has an OPS plus in his career of 97 which of those two guys would you rather have
0: I would take Dylan Carlson I'd probably take Carlson in that mix. And then
3: the next question is O'Neal versus O'Neal slash Walker versus Randy. Orozarena? But see,
4: that's where it gets interesting, because if you go one by one, I would take a Rosarena over O'Neal and I would take Walker over a Rosarena. So it depends on which
3: one you're asking. I mean, let's say Walker, because I think Walker is more likely to be in the Cardinals starting yeah, outfield next year. Then than I would take Tyler the O'Neal.
4: Cardinals. And that's why I said at the beginning, it just really depends on who we're talking about here. If it's Walker, I would take the Cardinals, what they currently have, despite me not thinking Lars Nupar is a third outfielder or a starting outfielder for them but if we're talking O'Neill because Jordan Walker is still unknown I would I would take Randy or Rosa Reyna
0: yeah I, I think if you're putting Walker into this conversation then I think you I still if it was like Walker Newton Carlson if that was your outfield I would still take the three of the past because really the only guy I'd be banking on would be uh, Walker and his upside because I think sure. Bader and Carlson I know I said I'd take Carlson in that I think they're closer to a wash than we give it credit for and then I just think Adolus Garcia is just better than Lars Newt and it's enough to push the scale in favor of the previous three but if you do say it comes down to Tyler O'Neill and Randy Rose Raina because let's just say they keep O'Neill because they want Walker to spend some time in AAA and they can go with the outfield that we think we've said O'Neal Carlson and Nupar I, I would take Randy Rosarena over Tyler O'Neill, and I know Tyler O'Neill has the potential to hit 30 home runs and we saw that he can hit like a 280 average and be a guy that could be an MVP caliber player but he doesn't have the best ability, which is availability. He's always hurt. He He's hurt, and it's been too inconsistent throughout his career. And I understand a Rose Ray has only done it for two full seasons. But at least I can look at his baseball reference page and go, okay, it's that's pretty consistent. It's, it's pretty consistent. Yep. So I, I would say Randy Rosarena would be the guy that I would take over Tyler O'Neill. And if that's the case, I would lean towards the previous three.
3: Yeah, I think when you look at what the Cardinals have done, that's been the issue. It, if you trace back all of the steps over the last few years, the biggest issue that they've or the biggest mistake that they have made was trading Randy Rosarena for uh, Matthew Liberatore. Matthew Liberatore, like, maybe he still becomes a good starting pitcher for them, but right now he's not. He's He wasn't a good starter for them down in AAA this season. He still needs a decent amount of work. He can't get right-handed hitters out right now. He gets shellacked seemingly every time that he comes up to the big leagues. He, they just hit him really, really hard by the second time through the order. As of today, he's a reliever. And he's a reliever that his velocity plays, plays up a little bit. He's got a curveball occasionally, but it's super inconsistent. And that's just... When you trade away a guy like Randy Arozarena, who's been a 20% above league average hitter basically since the moment that he got to the Rays, that's a really tough trade to make. And then you look at the issues that the Cardinals have currently. If you just put Randy Arozarena in this outfield going into next year, Carlson, Arozarena, Walker, Newpar, that's a really good starting outfield. All of their issues right now, or many of them at least, and by the way, that's your third big bat potentially, or at least a, a complimentary piece that could serve as a third big bat until Walker becomes the guy that we want to see. A lot of the issues that they have going into this offseason stem from that trade. That That is the one. And they were chasing a left-handed starter. And then now you look at him and it's like, ooh, do they have too many left-handed starters to be able to bring back Jose Quintana? That That's one of the things that I think if they had an honest moment, they would say that's the trade we regret the most right now is, is giving up Randy Rosarena for the you think Matthew they regret Levertor. that over Sandy Alcantara? They would tell you no. I think it was easier to see that coming back to haunt them than it was to see the the one with Alcantara. Because Ozuna was a, a legit piece at the time. Like, that dude was a certainty. He's what they're searching for right now in the outfield of, we know he's going to be 25-plus home runs and 80-plus RBIs. That's what we're going to plop into our outfield, and we needed it. They needed a cleanup hitter. The trade was super defensible. The trade for Matthew Libertor was... Okay, so you need a left handed pitcher, but this guy's probably a couple of years away, and you just traded a piece that could project to be a starting outfielder for you like now. Was this necessary? And the answer is probably no. When you look back on it, they chose wrong. They chose wrong in the outfield. So I, that's why I, looking back on it, I, I think it was a bigger mistake in my opinion. Just going back to the moment as opposed to having the revisionist history of, yeah, if you could have Sandy Alcantara back, of course, all of us would rather have Sandy Alcantara.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that because you, def, you definitely needed Ozuna in that offseason. You needed that quote-unquote certainty bat, and it was going to be a cleanup hitter in the outfield, you didn't necessarily have to make the Randy Arozarena trade because you didn't give him an opportunity. You truly, did I don't think the Cardinals truly knew what they had in Randy Arozarena because he never had any real opportunities here in St. Louis. And he moved him for an uncertainty, a guy that you thought had a high ceiling compared to what you thought Arozarena had as a left-handed starter. It kind of reminded me of the—and it didn't work out for either side. I think it was the Mercado trade where they got John Torres, who they used to trade in the yeah. uh, Colorado deal, and then they got—I uh, think it was Capel, Connor. Capel maybe was in that deal as well so like it was kind of the same thing this one just happened to bite them back more because they've missed on the prospect that they got in return the guy they gave away actually has been really good
3: coming up in 15 minutes we're diving into some nfl quick hitters including some injury news from the nfl a guy that we talked about earlier today maybe part of the issue for him in the second half yesterday was an injury that we weren't talking about at the time we'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes jeremy rutherford joins us next
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go.
3: I'm Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie, 65780, the Air Comfort Service Text Line to get involved in the show. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we will give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Dead and Company. Stay tuned, we will get to that coming up in the next segment. Also, on the Twitter account at 101ESPN, you guys have about 15 minutes left to be able to vote on which punishment I will serve when I get back from vacation. There are three options for you. You can see them all available to you over at 101 ESPN on Twitter and on the 101 ESPN app. Right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crippin Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for The Athletic. He is joining us live from Seattle, where the Blues will take on the Kraken tomorrow night. JR, we appreciate the time, as always, man. How you doing today?
5: I'm oh, Doing well. I just got my vote in. And uh, I'm going to stick with that uh, Sled and and Kerry going nuts on you. I think that's an underrated one. I think that that would be uh, something that you wouldn't anticipate, and Kerry would take it to you pretty good.
4: Well, and J.R., I'm surprised that people aren't usually picking that because, of course, BK was the awful commissioner of our fantasy football league, and Kerry was the one that was (laughs) verbally upset after those 30-second picks. I will add, it is a
3: very close vote this week compared to normal. Very close. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. And he's
5: still sour, you know, after that Chiefs loss. I actually, uh, Alex, I was in the uh, office this last week, and I saw Donnie Fandango, who we know all is a uh, big Bills fan, right? And I said, good win, Donnie, good win, right when uh, BK happened to be walking by.
4: That's smart, JR. That's smart.
5: (laughs) Appreciate both of you for that.
3: Hey, JR, what was your biggest takeaway from the Blues season opener against the Blue Jackets?
5: Well, number one, I think that uh, they stuck to it. And after a sloppy second period, they kept playing their game in the third period. And we saw what we saw last year is a lot of balanced scoring. You get the two from Tarasenko. You know, power play looked good early, especially with that goal from uh, Buchnevich And Barbashev scores a big one. We talked about that third line. uh, Neighbors neighbors and Barbashev really coming through there when the Blues uh, needed them. So to me, you know, it's so hard to analyze just the one game. In fact, that's why I just put up a story that's kind of a more of a feature, you know. We'll get into the heavy analysis maybe a, a week, uh, two weeks into this thing. But you know, taken away from from that first game, I really think the the way they stuck to it and played their game in the third.
4: Jarrah, I know a lot of Blues fans saw the news yesterday or two days ago that Tyler Pitlick was skating with the team, and Craig Berube saying earlier today that he's traveling with the team. Any news that you can uh, provide us about that scenario?
5: No, I think that they they really liked him. We all know during that PTO, and probably would have. Been signed right out of camp. If not for the uh, the injury, you know, they also had some cap issues, so maybe that would have held him back. But uh, I think we all knew that that he was coming back. His locker stall was kept out at uh, Centene, and so he's been skating the past couple of days with the team. I think they need an extra body on this trip. So you know, no announcement yet in terms of uh, signing, and, and you know, maybe that doesn't happen. Don't want to paint yourself into a corner here, but I think it's a situation where pretty evident that they like him. Been skating with the team. And then if if they do sign him, uh, you know, if they don't have room here, they can send him down to Springfield. So I think he's got the speed. He's got the talent. He showed it in camp. I talked to him a little bit a couple days ago in the locker room, and he's eager to join these guys. But right now they need a body. No Logan Brown still not skating so they need an extra body on this long road trip
3: jr something we talked about yesterday quite a bit was the uh the time on ice for robert thomas's line especially when you compare it to what robert, uh, ryan o'reilly did robert thomas had more even strength ice time than ryan o'reilly had total ice time in the game on saturday is that a trend you expect to continue throughout the season and if so what do you think the uh what do you think the hope is there by decreasing ryan o'reilly's ice time throughout the regular season
5: yeah, it's a good observation, and I think we are going to see it. It's probably not going to be that big of a discrepancy each game, but I think over the course of the season, that's the evolution that we're going to see. And I think we saw a little bit of it last year with you know, Robert Thomas taking some of those uh, late-game face-offs, crucial face-offs, and you know, now he's going to be getting more ice time. Look, they have created a situation where Robert Thomas is the future, new eight-year contract, he's in the fold for nine years, and we don't know what's going to happen with Ryan O'Reilly, but he's still a huge part of this team, and he's still going to play big minutes and be counted on you know, by the Blues, but I just think it's a situation where you have a line with Thomas Buchnevich and Tarasenko that's going to be lethal. And I think right now Riley, Saad, Kyrou kind of still figuring themselves out. Uh, Craig Burby said that even during camp. You know, it's still a little bit of a work in progress. I think Kyrou, to me, had a tough game the other night. That's what I saw. But again, it's one game. Uh, but with the situation, Blues giving up that two-goal lead, Needed some offense, I think you're going to see a lot of Thomas uh, Buchnevich and Tarasenko like we did in game one.
4: Do you think there's some concern, JR, just over that chemistry because of the lack of games that this team is playing early on? I mean, they play tomorrow night, which is 2-11, and 11, and then they play Saturday. I mean, that's three games in 14 days that you're really not getting a whole lot of ice time.
5: Yeah, isn't it crazy? Uh, you know, you wait so long to play uh, finally that first game, and then you got to wait another few days just to get game number two and. Uh, to me, yeah, it's it's not playing as much, but they did play together in the preseason. To me, the biggest thing is, you know, it's not three players that I think you'd sit down with a pen and a napkin and say, I think this could be a good line. I think it's the way things kind of break for the Blues, because like Thomas Buchnevich and Tarasenko, and then you have to have Braden Chen playing your third-line center, Uh, so he's not up on the left wing on that top line now. Maybe perhaps you'll see that, and perhaps you could see better chemistry, Uh, but you want Shen down there with neighbors on that third line, and so right now the way I see it, that's the way it breaks. So uh, are they forcing it with Saad, Riley, Cairo? I think it could work. I just don't know that it's three guys who all necessarily complement each other, uh, and I think we're going to see changes throughout the season, uh, but maybe if they get some chemistry, maybe they could look better than they have so far.
4: Do you feel like there's a best-case scenario for that, that trio of in terms of line combinations?
5: Well, I think, you, you know, you always look at uh, Shen playing in that top six. and I, I like the balance that what they're doing now provides, and I like the fact that Shen's playing with neighbors because I think they really do have some chemistry. And Barbashev, you add to that group, I, I like that. So I think at some point, uh, you know, it's just not going to be a perfect puzzle. And, and so could you move side down to the third line and, and, and maybe put Barbashev in the middle? And Assad plays on that third line with him. You could. That's the things that uh, Craig Berube, his staff, including the analytics guys, that's a part of the game. I know we talk a lot about it with Mo and the Cardinals, but it's a big thing with uh, hockey too. You know they're going to look at things as they progress. But this is the way they're going for now. I don't see any reason why, or you know, that they're going to change uh, tomorrow night in Seattle worked pretty good in game one, and, and these guys again, still getting their feet underneath.
3: Them. Ah, keep the analytics out of my hockey. <laughs> I won't take it in my baseball, but JR, if you put it into my hockey, we're going to have some problems here. Uh, I did want to ask you a little bit, JR, about um, the Ryan O'Reilly contract situation. I, it's the in-season, and I don't think we're going to talk a ton about this throughout the season as we did in the offseason, but your colleague, Pierre LeBron over at The Athletic, had a, a little bit of an update on it where he reported that the Blues are expecting to have uh, some kind of talks in January. That's when they'll restart some some kind of negotiations with O'Reilly. What are you anticipating with that situation? Do you think this is probably going to be held off until the end of the year, or do you think that they're going to try to get something done in season?
5: I would think they'd try to get something uh, done in season, and, and Pierre did have that nugget saying that uh, the Blues and uh, the agents uh, Pat Morris are probably going to circle back with each other in January. It makes sense. Ryan O'Reilly told us a couple weeks ago at his locker stall that there's been dialogue so far. Neither side is in a rush, nor do I think they should be. You know, I think it's in the Blues' best interest probably to wait a little bit, see what Ryan has, and see what they want to do. The other thing that I'll say is that something that Doug Armstrong said uh, recently is, you know, let things play out with with certain guys. You you got the guys that you wanted to sign long term in Cairo and Thomas. And then also they're being updated on the fly in terms of what the cap is going to be. So, you know, maybe it makes sense in Ryan O'Reilly's seat too to to figure out what this cap is going to look like. I know they've got a pretty good idea. It's been mapped out for the next three years. And GMs have heard that from the league, Uh, but what's the cap going to be? And, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, he goes into a situation where, yeah, he'd probably want to stay here and he'd probably take a little less, but how much is too less. So uh, I think that it makes sense. What Pierre reported at the athletic is, Let's get back together in January. You see how O'Reilly's playing. You get a better idea what the cap's going to look like and, and perhaps what the Blues can do in terms of uh, get, managing the cap.
4: Jerry, final one for me. We heard uh, Craig Berube yesterday on the fast lane talk about the fourth line and, and how impactful it is in his eyes. He talked about how they've been using it, at least in that first game, following the Blues scoring a goal. How impactful do you feel this fourth line is going to be this season?
5: Yeah, I really like it. Uh, you know, I thought it was a great first game for those guys. Alex, I'm surprised as, as anybody that uh, Alexei Torpchenko was in that lineup. You know, he had been talking about potentially playing, but until you see it, I mean, that was about four months on the button since he had that surgery, so that's a bit of a surprise. Uh, even Craig Ruby said that he was expecting him in December, so everybody's surprised about that. I thought Achari was great. I think he does everything that you're looking for in a, a fourth-line center. We all talked all offseason. He's got the goal-scoring potential, too. But more importantly, he does those small things, and he does everything right on every shift after the game. Craig Ruby said, completely consistent. So Nathan Walker's on that line now. I think that he gives you a spark anytime uh, he's in there. At some point, will we see different personnel on that line? Could you know There could be some mixing and matching. Uh, but I think if you have a foundation of Achari and a healthy Torbchenko, I think you got a good start. He trusts them, as you've been talking about the past couple of days, coming out, going out uh, after those those goals. Uh, so I think that's a good situation for the Blues. I think for the first time in a couple of years now, uh, you feel good and you can pencil in some names on that fourth line.
3: It's like I've always said, you get that fourth line constructed, the rest of the things start falling into place. JR, appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. Enjoy yourself out in Seattle. JR. he never said that.
5: Anytime. Enjoy that salsa, that hot sauce oh, oh, oh he, he
3: will not uh, enjoy it. it was salsa <laughs> yeah. yeah i wish it was salsa. <laughs> his, esoph-
4: his esophagus is gonna close up a little bit later on today
3: <laughs> all right see you boys take it easy that's jeremy ruther for joining us here on 101 espn hey coming up in about 15 minutes or so we will give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see dad and company so be sure to stay tuned for that but next time for some nfl quick hitters alex including what if russell wilson's just been hurt this whole time tell you tell you about that next Here on 101 espn <laughs>
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Hey, with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. You guys want to talk about some running backs, some runners? I've been told that they don't matter and you shouldn't draft them high uh, I have a
4: Ooh, lot they of
0: think fantasy guys. I have a and lot of regrets
3: about drafting Jonathan Taylor number one
0: I, I don't
4: know. have a lot of regrets drafting
3: Saquon Barkley in the first round Well, that was a good pick Derrick uh, Henry in the second round too also a pretty good pick unfortunately there are a lot of running backs that have failed so far this year including a couple that appear to be on the trade block right now so according to NFL.com and ESPN both of them have stories right now up about Christian McCaffrey potentially being available via trade now according to these stories the panthers are asking for the moon and more they they want everything they want like first round pick blah blah blah. they ain't gonna get it we all know that it's a running back he's got like a one million dollar salary this year so basically everybody could have him in terms of the salary cap implications and next year it's 11 million dollars and it'll be the same the year after that Cam Akers also available on the trade block right now after last night's game with Melvin Gordon getting passed up on the depth chart by Latavius Murray I would imagine the hell Nathaniel lost me a fantasy game he's probably going to be on the trade block soon if you were another team when taking into account the cost of being able to acquire these guys and you know the cost of the actual financial ramifications down the line which of these three would you like to have Christian McCaffrey Cam Akers or Melvin Gordon taking into account cost
4: I think I would want Christian McCaffrey because he's just so clear cut better than the rest. And I understand there's more cost in terms of what you're paying. But if I'm going to make this trade, I want to make my team clearly the best team above everyone. So if I'm I'm putting myself in Buffalo shoes, I'm envisioning that I'm going to pay whatever price I needed to get Christian McCaffrey because it makes me a legit super. It makes me the clear cut team in the AFC.
0: Yeah, that's that's where I was going. Whereas, if you're a team that feels like you're just that one piece away, and Buffalo feels they're that in that position, do like what the Rams did. Now, granted, I don't think Von Miller they felt was the last piece to the puzzle. I think they felt that they could get Von Miller and Odell signed last year, and those were the pieces they needed to go on that Super Bowl run. But if you think Christian McCaffrey's that guy, then yeah, I would say pay the price to get him. But I think that only falls for what three teams maybe in the NFL, maybe yeah. the Buffalo. Um, I don't know if the, I don't know if the Chiefs would do that kind but of move. Consider if I'm Miami. Miami would make sense. I don't know if
4: Philly would want to do it either because they've got a pretty good situation
3: with Miles Sander and Gainwell. I could see it, though.
0: I if you wanted too. to
4: add
3: one more weapon, like where you've got a one-two but punch seemed, of CMC and, and Yeah, I guess that's true. D- I was going to
4: say they seem to like to use multiple guys, but I guess your two punch would be Sanders and McCaffrey. Yeah, yeah. I could see
3: how that would work out pretty well. I mean, Those it would be the, the three teams I'd probably it say. It makes you
4: clearly better than everyone in the NFC if you're Philly. Maybe
3: the 49ers. San Francisco would make sense, too. Yeah, yeah. but they got
4: so many other issues, it feels like, right now.
3: A lot of theirs are injury-related, but when they're healthy, I think that's going to be a really good team. I would, like, as of today, I would pick the 49ers to win the NFC West. It's just, it's all dependent upon...
0: What if you're the Cardinals? Nah, they should give up.
3: Yeah,
4: but I mean, like, they're if they're you're they're getting stink. DeAndre Hopkins back, and I agree, like, I think they stink too. But like, if you're going to go for it, wouldn't you want to get somebody who's extremely my, the best option my at problem running with back? The
0: Cardinals is you're not at the phase that I'm talking about, where you're a piece away. But if you they're get multiple pieces, but away, if you, you
4: know. get McCaffrey, you're the
3: best team in the West. I think. I don't think they are. I, I think they have so many issues, like it's better than, than the Rams.
0: I would still take the Rams I would take The, Rams. the Ra- issue with the Rams is just I
3: think the Seahawks are better right now than the Cardinals are I think the Cardinals are one of the worst teams in the NFC
4: But I, I, I think They're going to be better when you get DeAndre Hopkins back But which now is you're why without I'm Marquise
3: Brown And so th- that's the thing That's tough is like Yes But I think one's clearly Better than the
4: other there Like Hopkins and Rondale Moore de- And definitely. not with Robbie Anderson Like I'm just looking hey, at Robbie Anderson's things. I, I understand it But I'm looking at it As if you're gonna tool up And like look The Cardinals defense Is not awful I mean it's bad But it's it, not it's awful It's one of the
3: worst In the NFL <laughs>
4: it Doesn't seem that way do you watch them play Seattle? No, I, I watched I mean, them play Seattle, but I've also seen a couple of games where the the defense actually determined a certain a couple I games. Mean, the fact
0: that they don't show up for the first half of a football game, and I don't trust their defense. Like I, I don't view like if you ask me who should they be paying for if they need a running back, they they won't be in the Acre sweepstakes because the Rams will trade them there. They should be in the Melvin Gordon sweepstakes. They're going to look for a running back to add to their offense. He's they're the kind of team that I would say the price that they should be paying is more on the Melvin Gordon front than it is can't or than uh. CMC so
3: that's actually The guy that I would want like if I'm The Rams or the Bills Or the Chiefs I think all of those teams are missing a Guy that's just when four four yards is There for him that's blocked he gets Four yards and I know that seems like such A simplistic way to look at things but man for some of These teams that is super important just to keep You on on track First and ten give me four yards Put me into second and six you got second and six Get me four yards put me into a third manageable Situation And that's what Melvin Gordon can do for this team. These teams. He's had some fumbling issues. No doubt about it this season. But I I think he's the guy because I think Christian McCaffrey, they're going to probably get a second or a third round pick for him. You might be able to trade like a sixth, the future sixth or seventh round pick for Melvin Gordon. I think that's the guy that I would probably be targeting. I want no part of Cam Akers. Christian McCaffrey, I I would like to have, but it would have to be a reasonable cost in terms of the draft pick that I'm giving up. Melvin Gordon's the one out of those three that I would be most interested in.
0: I would agree with that because I'm hoping the Rams make a move for Melvin Gordon. I don't think they can do just a swap of Akers for Gordon. They might be able to, but I don't think so. I I think Akers is the guy that goes to a rebuilding team and just they hope that they can find the upside again in him. when the
3: panthers trade christian mccaffrey they'll trade for
0: yeah that's exactly what the makers see if you can refine that upside see if he finds that explosiveness coming off the achilles injury and hopefully learns to see when there's a hole to run through it instead of away from it
3: so somebody put out speaking of moves that teams could make an interesting hypothetical guys the giants are five and one we mentioned yesterday their leading wide receiver on the season is richie grant They could clearly use an upgrade at that position. Or excuse me, Richie James. They could clearly... I don't even know the guy's name. That's how bad it is. They could use a wide receiver. Do you think Odell Beckham would consider going back to New York and playing for the Giants? No. And if so, what would that do for your belief in that team down the stretch? It,
4: It would make them much better than what I feel like now because they don't have any weapons at the wide receiver route. But I don't think he would consider it because I think if OBJ is coming back, it's going to be. I'm going to a team that is clearly a Super Bowl contender, which seems to be he's doing Rams, Bills. I don't think he's been connected to the Chiefs, and I don't think the Chiefs would do that.
3: But I would like it.
4: um, Philadelphia would be the other one. But again, I don't really know if there's a spot there because you're not really getting the reps. But I don't think he would go to the Giants because the Giants still are a team that. Would be fighting for a playoff spot, and he seems to be the kind of guy that wants to go somewhere where he's just obviously going to be in the playoffs and have a chance to win.
0: Yeah, I agree with Alex. I think his best spot is fighting the spot where he's more of like the number two or number three, not the number one, because there's going to be so much pressure coming on to him in that spot in New York. And Would he go to the Giants if they had better weapons? I think he would, because I think he wants to be a giant. And it would be cool. I just don't think they have the weapons to this point where they will bring. He should go there, and will they they bring him in? I, I think it's the Rams, the Bills, the Chiefs are another good one. Philly's a good option for him. Like these teams that are going to be the top end contenders that are going to be looking for just that second complimentary piece. I think that's where he belongs. And honestly, I don't know if it's worth it for the Giants' risk because I'm not sure how explosive he's going to be coming off the ACL. What's injury. the
4: next step down of of tiers of wide receivers that could be available? Because that's where I think Buffalo jumps into play.
0: But the uh, thing is, like, you
3: just... Mean, like
0: Maybe the Steelers end up trading playpool. one of their
3: guys. Claypool would be interesting for the Giants. I've
0: seen them connected. Green Bay connected to him.
3: I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that could be of interest. I I don't know, man. Maybe, br-
0: maybe DJ Moore. D- DJ, DJ Moore might be a guy maybe. that becomes
3: available at the
4: deadline. That would be an interesting... Like, I could see Buffalo getting a wide receiver, but I don't think they're... Like, I think it's going to be via trade because they've been bad for so long. Now I think you can start trying to deal some of your assets
3: that you got a coach that you believe in. Yeah, if Buffalo ends up doing something, I think it's probably more... I don't know that they need a wide receiver.
4: I think it's I think it's McCaffrey for Buffalo.
3: Yeah, I think they're they, the team that I think they is going to be do more it. likely to get one of those running backs that we were just talking about. I do think that Odell Beckham. If I was to make a pick on which division he lands in, I think I would probably go NFC East. One of the Eagles, the Giants, or the Cowboys. Cowboys
0: make that, makes that sense. feels yeah, like Cowboys. the
3: spot for him. I could see the Cowboys. They make a ton of sense. They've already got some weapons. There wouldn't be as much pressure as if he went to New York. But man, that that story with the Giants could be something really special. If he was able to go back there, become that number one wide receiver again, they're five and one on the season. I know their quarterback is not very good, but Odell makes the, qu- he, he rises the level, raises the level of the, your quarterback. We saw that last year with Matt Stafford. He just wins so well against man coverage. Yeah, he sucks now. He's, <laughs> he makes you look better as a quarterback. Is Kenny Galladay even alive still? He's nice. He's, there. he's just bad. somewhere. I mean, he, was, he was
4: good in Detroit, but now he's just terrible with the Giants. Right. That's I got one lost of those, in the subway.
3: that's one of the worst contracts that we've seen given out in recent years. He's probably walking around barefoot in New York. <laughs> York. final thing here there was a report this morning that apparently russell wilson is getting his hamstring injury checked out with an mri and it could be something that is seen as more serious than what they expected it to be you guys think this is a situation where russell wilson the whole issue nothing more was that he's been hurt this whole time no i think the issue is nathaniel hackett sucks but it does
4: make you wonder if he's big. Because wasn't there a report last week that he was dealing with a hamstring injury? Shoulder was shoulder, last yeah. week. Oh, was it? so, so this g- breaking. This guy might be broken. He had
3: the heat on his shoulder pad, under his shoulder <laughs> pad during the game. <laughs> this
4: guy just might be broken. And then Hackett's like, yeah, but we don't know who our backup is.
0: So uh, why don't you just go back out there for us? I I don't think it's the big issue. I don't think injury's been the biggest concern. I mean, he's been bad since week one. And I don't remember seeing him on the injury report then. So I I don't. Did it play a factor? Sure, but I think part of the factor was just Russ wasn't cooking early on in the year either, so I'm out on that. Yeah, I, we're all on the same page. This
3: is not an injury issue. Now, did it hurt him last night? Sure, yeah. It, it could have played a factor, especially right, sure, in that second half. But I don't think that this is the reason why Russell Wilson has been bad this year. I think he's just he's not in a good place right now, whether it's the offense, him, what a, I think it's a combination of all of that stuff. It is not going well. Coming up next, we'll give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Dad and company as we wrap things up with a BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Now is your chance to win a free pair of tickets. Dead and company. The final tour, according to them, is coming to Hollywood Casino Amphitheater next summer on June the 7th. Tickets are are available right now, but you can go ahead and get them right here on 101 ESPN. Throughout the week, we've got your chance to win a free pair to see the show. If you're texting number 101 657 And you can tell us who the player was that was walking around New York City. Mr. Nasty is what I call him. But he was walking around New York City barefoot all week last week. If you can tell us who that player was, we talked about it earlier today. You are going to see Dead & Company with a pair of tickets. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Right now, though, we have to announce our punishment for me. I will be serving this when I get back from uh, New York, Boston, Providence, Newport, and Portland. We'll be serving this along with three others in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Alex, what were the options? What ended up winning this? So week? the
4: options were standing on Olive in the costume of uh, Tanner and I's choice, mm-hmm. and it would be holding a sign that says, I suck at picks. The other option was pushing a football weight sled the length of a football field while Kerry Davis of the opening drive yells at you the entire time. And the new one that was added, that T-Bone added for being the loser this week, uh, is read a page from Fifty Shades of Grey on the air. Okay. All right. The results. You voted for BK's, is this your third or fourth punishment? Uh, fourth, I think. Fourth punishment <laughs> for Brandon Kiley. Yeah, this would be my fourth because he's had two. In third place. With 31% of the votes... Man, this is close. This is very close. Read a page of Fifty Shades of Grey. So nobody wanted to hear BK read that. and I'm glad uh, that that. we don't have to hear that. In second place, with 32% of the votes pushing a football sled of the length of a football field. So ladies and gentlemen, we did it. Thirty seven percent of you voted for Brandon Kylie to stand on Olive with a sign that says, I suck at picks. Yeah. Yes. Can't wait to Celebrate! do it. It's gonna be great. You if you missed anything Pinocchio from today's show, outfit. be sure to check it
3: out on the podcast page, 101 ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where no you streams. find it. It's all presented down. by Dobbs Hire and Auto Centers. They will be me back tomorrow. And make I'll me be frown. back in two weeks I here got on 101 ESPN.
0: Also got some lemon juice to just
1: squirt in my mouth.